This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Tuesday morning. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. Back after a little Memorial Day break. Which... I luckily, of all times, to get the cold. I had it the entire holiday weekend. How do you feel now? Uh, okay. Uh, I okay. feel better. No, you don't. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I slept for 500 hours, watched every show you could imagine, and watched my children have a wonderful weekend. Well, that's great. No, I usually get sick over a holiday and then feel great the second I go back to work. Really? Yeah. See, that's just wrong. I know. You're supposed to... It's frustrating. You're supposed to be sick during the week. Right. And then recuperate during the extended weekend. Not me. (sighs) Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's like paid parental leave. Or we'll find out. We'll find out today. Today we're talking about parental leave. If you're going to have a baby, you should have some time off to be with the baby. And it would be great if it could be paid so that you're going to be able to pay for your baby. Babies are expensive. You may not. I mean, James doesn't know this. There's not an announcement, is there, James? No. No announcement. You're just recently married. Yeah. Yeah, give it some time. (laughs) Anyway, we'll be talking about paid uh, parental leave today. Um, but, you know, I just – I watched a bunch of Netflix. Okay. Put them into business. Watched half of Granite Flats. How was that? Great. It's awesome. It's very, very appropriate for families. Totally family-friendly. I mean, a lot of things on Netflix, you're like, whoa. We were going to watch that, oh. but my son wanted to watch a Superman cartoon, so – Really? We had to go with his plan. Your son might like it. No, nah, probably not. Not probably not. He'd probably go with dad. He's young. Um, no. But it's a great show. And easy for the family and, you know, lots of just great messages. If they did a Granite's, Granite Flats animated series, then maybe that'd yes. be a different story. He would like it. But there are these kids that are solving problems in Granite Flats in the, in the show. So when he's a little older, I think he'll enjoy it. My kids would enjoy it. Except my kids weren't around because they were out enjoying the weekend. Enjoying the holiday, whereas you were yeah. sick on the couch. It was horrible. Do you make people take care of you when you're no, sick? No, no one takes care of me. Are you a, a drag on the family? No, I think my wife's actually disgusted with me okay. when I get sick. She walks by me and her lip lifts up. I'm like, hmm. what are you doing there? I would think that I'm the the tough guy that... Just stay away. You don't need to worry about yeah. me, but I'm a baby. I need to be no, taken I care whimper, of. No, so. yeah, I whimper, and I want to be taken care of, and I whimper like a little baby, but nobody seems to care. No. No. It's like- My wife's uh, my wife is pretty good. She's like, oh, and she tries to does help. Does she try? Yeah. Whereas when she's sick, I'm like, oh, are you sick? Um, who's going to cook dinner? My wife's never <laughs> sick. So I'm kind of- Ever. Problem. So I, I'm always sick. I'm sick about every- Every six weeks, I'm sick. That might be genetic. I think it is. It might be 
Diet Coke I've related. Got, no, it's not. I mean, I, my Cokes are pretty clean. <laughs> okay. I do drink a lot of dirty Diet Coke. So I don't know what's in the dirty. But it's, it's on the discount bins. But I, um, it's, I think it's more just I work a crazy schedule. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've heard that does kind of wreak havoc with your well, immune you systems. Know, it, it does. And it was my throat that was hurting. And that's my moneymaker. I have noticed you talk a lot. I talk a lot. I mean, it's at some point where you're like, "Is he ever shut up?" I, he just know, talks I, I forever. Know, I know, I know. Tell me about it. And then I talk at night. And then my, I was supposed to go yesterday to a family party, and I'm like, I can't. They'll just want to talk. Yeah. So let me just watch Netflix. It wasn't a bad weekend, but I felt bad for everybody else. And I wish somebody had felt bad for me. I think but, you need to whine a little louder. I next do. Time. I moan and I like, ugh, ugh, so painful. It's oh. so hard to be sick, I tell my kids. You guys, it's hard to be dad when he's sick. And they're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to Jimmy's. <laughs> I don't even know who Jimmy is. My kids are there all weekend. Anyway, so that's going on in the news. Uh, flooding, for heaven's sakes. Yes. Crazy amount of We're flooding. We're losing Oklahoma and Texas is being washed away. Oklahoma and Texas, crazy weather in Houston. Flash flood watches and warnings issued across the state earlier this morning. Unprecedented downpour of rain triggered extremely dangerous and potentially life-threatening conditions, wow. according to city leaders. More than 80,000 people were without power. And the floodwaters closed roads, including Interstate 10 and Interstate 45. Houston was among 24 counties where Texas Governor Greg Abbott declared a state of disaster on Monday. Huh. Around 200 basketball fans remained trapped in the city's Toyota Center after the Houston Rockets beat the Golden State that Warriors. That was crazy. So Stefan did a little head bop. Yeah. That was, uh Stephen Curry from the Golden State Warriors dropped on his neck because that's what you do when you play basketball. And then he came back. Uh-huh. They made a game of it almost. Uh, he rallied know. with an eight at one point, I saw. He was on fuego. But as that's happening in the the uh, Toyota Center outside floods, and they told all the people after the game, you need to stay here till the storm passes because yeah. it's uh, the, the roads are just unsafe. And then uh, what this said by, f- what, uh, 5 a.m. Eastern, there were still about 200 people in the stadium waiting to go home. Crazy. <laughs> and the roads were just impassable. Uh Rivers in the town are just over overflowing, just record floods. In Oklahoma, four people are confirmed dead after more rain and uh, and tornadoes hit there. Uh, three people died, including a firefighter who was swept into a storm drain in Oklahoma during a high water rescue. CNN reported in Texas, one person died, twelve are missing in Hayes County, where four hundred homes have washed away. National Weather Service says the river and creek banks can't contain all the. Rain that has fallen, the ground is so saturated that only an inch or two of rainfall could quickly lead to more flash flooding. 400 homes washed away? Washed away. What? Well, who builds the home that close to a water basin? I don't know. You, is this like a is this a hundred year flood? You, it seemed it, it, from all reports, it looks like historic. This They've been had this since the sixties, that kind of thing. But it's it's you you see tornadoes on on the news. Some neighborhood gets hit with tornadoes, and people are like, why do you live there? Yeah. Well, the last tornado came through yeah. like eighty years ago. No one no one's thinking that this isn't a a place where the tornadoes come quite That's a bit. Crazy. There was a tornado in northern Mexico. Really. To, oh, great. That's where my son is. And so, like, uh, the towns are just, uh, you know, destroyed, and uh, tornadoes don't go there. Yeah. They're, no- they're more north. They're more up in the Oklahoma area, not down in Mexico. So they're Did not- you see that water? The water spout su- through Florida. That came in, what was it? Uh, that was out. Uh, was it St. Petersburg? No. 
was it by Tampa? Yeah, the and beach it lifted is, up that toy. The bounce house. Oh my heavens! And there was three kids, kids inside in the bounce house, and at first it was just rolling, and then all of a sudden it pitched twenty feet in the air. I mean, for a second that looked like a fun ride. Yeah, but your kids getting tossed through a. I think a kid flew out. It's tragic. Yeah. So I mean, these are some. Uh, these are signs situation. of the times. Well, it's signs that That's you know what it's raining. Saying. Signs of the times. <laughs> Weather. Uh, America during honoring Memorial Day yesterday, President Obama, Defense Secretary Ash Carter honored American as America's soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, Obama noted that it is the first Memorial Day in more than ten years. I think it's uh, fourteen years is what he said that the U.S. is not engaged in a major ground war on Memorial Day. Well, there you go. So there's a that doesn't mean we're not actually you know in conflict. I mean, areas. unless you're counting Baltimore. That's a ground war. There's a there's yeah. the worst. They're talking overseas. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, 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 it we, makes we, a difference. Yeah. He also noted that almost 200,000 American service members are currently overseas right now. 200,000. Yeah. Wow. As that was going on, a bomb squad destroyed a propane tank and pressure cooker found in a suspicious car near the Capitol building in D.C. Oh, wow. Uh, the arrested vehicle's owner Sunday. They arrested the vehicle's owner. U.S. Capitol Police spokesman said the authorities discovered the unattended car near the National Mall, an odor of gasoline from the vehicle. Uh, the bomb squad was called the scene. Uh, the I was item just was making destroyed. lunch. The car owner has a job where he uses the propane tank and the pressure cooker for his job. I haven't found any more details as to what he does. What does he make? But why do you have Diamonds? this in the car and why do you drive to the National Mall and park and not think about what's in your back seat? Was he was he the guy that made food at your wedding? No. Was he in a big truck? I, I don't think so. Was he selling waffles? No, it's just in his car. You know, like mm. what you have in the back seat, a pressure cooker and a propane tank. Is that a propane tank <laughs> and a pressure and it smells like gas? The man arrested uh, uses it for work. He admitted the lack of thought. He said he was stupid to uh-huh. bring that to there. He goes, it was uh-huh. it's in his car for work. And he, oh, he, he said afterwards, he's like, yeah, that probably looked bad. It's Well, yeah, like the guy with a truck full of fertilizer parked yeah. in front of the I just had Supreme fertilizer. Court. What? Oh, I was so about to fertilize. Capital Police, or, you know, they had to detonate that guy's uh, property oh, that way. An Air France flight was screened at JFK Airport. This uh, this was Monday morning after a phone call warned of a chemical threat on board. Fighter jets assembled at 10,000 feet, escorted the plane to a safe landing. Port Authority police swept the plane even after the threat was deemed uncredible. Yet the threat was only one of many directed at commercial airplanes throughout the day. An American Airlines flight was also threatened, but was similarly found safe and sound as it was also swept at JFK. An additional three threats are being evaluated at Newark Airport. This was as of late yesterday. What is the deal? People calling in threats. It's because it's Monday. Yeah. It's a manic Monday. So all kinds of... uh, Crazy news. Crazy news happening. Well, uh, that's good. A great review of the news there. We are going to now take a break, come back and talk with Dr. Ruth Milkman. Uh, she is a sociologist of and, and professor of labor and labor movements, a professor at soci- of sociology at the City University of New York Graduate Center. We wanted to talk to her about parental leave. So you and your spouse, you have a baby and you got to get right back to work. You know, what about paid parental leave? Did you know that we are one of the only one of two countries that don't have an answer for this? It's 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 actually quite shocking. 
It's just the United States and Papua New Guinea that don't have some paid parental leave act. We'll be talking to Dr. Ruth Milkman to find out why. Up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when it comes to um, a lot of policies, I think many of us in our world, we we don't really study them out, and we may not think about some of these things that we, that we believe so strongly in, um, or we feel like we believe so strongly in. And a lot of times we might just end up taking, I don't know, like a partisan policy position, uh, whether, whether a Republican or a Democrat, there comes a point where we we say one thing, like, you know, families are important to us. Family values matter. We believe in family values. And yet, simultaneously, um, we, we don't always necessarily act pro-family. We don't always necessarily act like it does matter to us. So we wanted to talk about um, a, a topic which gets a lot of play, parental leave, and um, which is basically the idea that if you're going to end up uh, if you end up having a child, you you have the opportunity, the right to to have some time off. Right. And if you remember, it was a really big deal. Um, it was a really big deal uh, with President Clinton when he passed the Family Medical Leave Act. And there was a lot of talk about how this was basically going to give uh, everybody 12 weeks of unpaid medical leave where you you have the the right to have 12 weeks unpaid to go be a mom, to go be a dad even, and go take care of your family. And so in that, you know, there was a lot of talk that, boy, it was going to destroy businesses. It was going to destroy a lot of uh, a, a lot of things. And many years later, you'll see that it didn't None of that really came to fruition. Businesses weren't necessarily destroyed. And, you know, in the end, nobody really died. And so it seemed to have turned out. Now, watch, though. Here we go. Now they don't just want 12 weeks of unpaid. Now they want paid leave for their children anytime they have a baby. Right? Is that is that fair? Is that justified? And most importantly, who's going to pay for it? Who pays for this time off? The businesses? So once again, we throw on more burdens onto the small business owners of the world. And you know what? Honestly, I'm a small business owner, and I get that. That's a big deal, and it's a big issue with with really potentially big burdens on, on the small business owner. Now, here's also the deal. I'm a father of six children. And uh, because I've kind of owned my own business the entire time, I I had to pay for my own. And it's not fair and it wasn't easy, but it also is a really weird problem that we might be facing um, if you're trying to run your business. Now, again, they, the, the rules would, would you know need to change, right? But the, the basic idea is if you were a company that had 50 or more employees – you uh, in California, you should they, they did a test for a six week uh, parental leave program where you would get six weeks of parental paid time off in California. It was in 2004 that this all came down and uh, you would basically get about 55 percent 
of your usual weekly wage up to a maximum benefit of $987, I guess, a week. So uh, to go be with your child and or to care for a seriously ill family member. Now, when this came out in 2004, it was, oh, we're going to destroy California. Now, what I liked about the California deal is it got creative, right? So it's one thing to just have the government say, yeah, every small business, if you have 50 or more employees, you just have to pay for paid leave. But, I mean, that puts a lot of kind of small businesses in a really interesting bind, a horrible bind for many, because you're taking a really critical player. Because if they're a full-time player right now, a full-time, a full-time employee right now, they, they're already pretty important to a company of 50 people. You're now going to take that person out. You're going to then need to replace them and supposedly pay for that other person's leave. So you've just doubled your costs. And actually minimize some of your impact. Is that a fair burden to put on a small business owner? Well, or let's just have the federal government, if you're going to mandate it, let's have the federal government pay the bill. Okay, so more taxes. It's going to come out somewhere, right? We're going to either have to, you know, add more cost or hire fewer people, which is the big argument. So let's go back to our values. Do you believe in families? Do you believe that a mother or a father should be home with their kids? Like we said at the beginning of the show, only the United States and Papua Papua New Guinea are the only two countries uh, that um, don't have some form of paid leave. Isn't that weird? Of all the places... The United States, we are not leading. In Sweden, they have nearly a year of paid leave off for your children if you have a child. A year, 54 weeks. Who pays for it? Government. The government pays for it. Of course. Hmm. Well, it may, I, don't, I don't know in Sweden. Yeah. But somebody's got to pay for this. But you know what is interesting? Let's get creative. There's got to be a way to creatively – maybe it's like insurance – Maybe you pay into a fund. It's kind of insurance. And when your employee needs it, you get to take money out of the fund and you pay a certain amount in. Is that just a tax? I don't know. But the question was in California, when the California paid leave, family paid leave uh, act went down, everyone's like, there it goes. It's going to destroy jobs. It's going to destroy all of these things. But the study in the end, after sampling 253 firms, they found out that it it didn't do what people thought it was going to do. In fact, the, the majority of the 253 firms that they sampled reported that the Paid Family Leave Act had no noticeable effect or positive effect on productivity, or on profitability, or on turnover. It did impact morale, but in the end, it wasn't good or bad. It was, I mean, it was fairly neutral. Now, is that what you'd expect? No, you'd expect that the business takes on more cost. Yeah. As you're talking about, as they're trying to, one, pay for an employee that's out, and then they have to find a way to replace that either by having other employees that are currently working cover that or bring in somebody else. Yeah. Either way, it's taxing, 
And yeah, apparently, as you said, it came back as neutral and not really being that big of a, an the, issue. The smallest firms, the, this is actually pretty interesting because the smallest firms that had less than 50 employees um, reported more positive outcomes than those with more than 100 employees. So the 100 employees kind of had a neutral. It wasn't good or bad. But I mean, the the, the smaller the company, though, had more positive reports. You think they'd have the more stress? There's mm-hmm. less people to cover, more yeah. less people to to work. Ninety-one uh, percent of the employees surveyed that they saw no knowledge of any abuse of the program. Among nine percent of those were aware of some abuse, but they said it was a rare occurrence. Eighty-seven percent of those reported no increases to the cost of the program. They did it more like an insurance program, kind of like um, like more of a an unemployment insurance. So you just pay an un, you pay an insurance. Premium. Okay, so every, the employer just donates to a, yeah. a fund. But the the gains were greatest for workers in low quality jobs. So really, the higher end jobs, you're not going to be compensated enough to make it super valuable because at the most you're getting a thousand dollars maybe a week. So if you're used to making two hundred thousand a year, yeah, that you know may not pay for much, but. Yeah, but you know what? To me, it's something. So really, it is the lower-end uh, jobs that, that actually enjoyed the benefits of the program the most. Um, some other things that did help them, uh, workers who used uh, the, the Paid Family Leave Act were more likely to be satisfied with the length of their leave and better able to care for the new child or seriously ill family member. The median weeks of breastfeeding doubled for new mothers. Everyone's out there, yeah, you got to breastfeed your kids. It's healthier for the kid. Well, so mothers were able to breastfeed double the amount of time from 5 to 11 weeks. Um, and those in the higher quality jobs went from 5 to 9 weeks. They had to get back to work. Yeah. Anyway, which has obviously important health benefits. So um, a third key finding that they found is a substantial increase in the proportion of men using it. More men than they thought would be using the uh, paid family leave in California. So, you know, does it really matter? Well, if we're talking family values, folks, it probably does. And if you're going to talk family values, then be real about it. It's one thing to sit there and think, you know, it's great. Life's easy. You know, just just have the company pay for it. But if you're a small business person trying to keep your family afloat – and you lose and have to pay double for one employee, it's a big deal. Are there other answers? Apparently. And is it as threatening and deadly as people would make it seem? Uh, no. So how can you argue against, except, I guess, financially? Yeah, the the reading I've done, the, the, the arguments are financially for the small business. They're for abuse of the program. Yeah. Because apparently, well... I guess it, you have to factor that in because someone is going to try to do something. Unfortunately, you have to, to f- just expect someone to try to oh, sure. bend a, a, so let's a say program to their – 10% of the people, let's say, are going to f- do something illegal on it or unethical. They're going to f- – Try to abuse the twist system. It. Okay. So and there's abuse. They said there were some rare occurrences of that. Uh, but yeah, those are – but I, I can see they, they set it up where it was, what, 50 and up? Mm-hmm. Fifty employees and up were the the companies that were involved in it. Did they have smaller? From what you've read, uh, any no. smaller so, so companies? anything above a hundred? No, they didn't do it under fifty. Now, over by oh, legally, legally they weren't responsible. Over fifty, that. it might seem that you 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 may be having you know some staffing. You can switch people around. Yeah. You can kind of absorb those costs easier. 
smaller than that, it would be really difficult. Well, again, yeah, because you have a few key players. If you have a full-time employee under 50 employees, those employees are pretty valuable because every one of those you've had to justify with an income. You know, when you have 3,000 employees, there's one or two or 10 that sneak in and like are just – Hiding from their, they're a, they're a coat on a chair. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, they're a coat on the chair, and so it's. But in your fifty, like in my company, you know, it's it's hard because every one of my people are incredibly valuable, and yet, if you believe in family values, you want that mother to be home with that baby. Right. Well, she should just stay home. Well, sixty percent of the couples in the United States. This is a crazy stat. Sixty percent of couples with kids both work outside of the home. So, how? If how is she supposed to stay home? My wife took uh, vacation time. That's exactly how they do it. They yeah. piece together their family vacation. They piece together days their off, days off, sick their days. health, yeah. and then they can either they can even go and try to help have their friends give some of their time. Give some of their vacation. I've heard of that people in the office kind of pooling together time to allow them to take time off. But again, you know, that's you might get two or three days. Yeah. You need weeks, 12 weeks. Well, and again, you can go do it anytime you want. Just don't get paid. Yeah, we have the, the Family Medical Leave Act. That is available to workers in this country, but that comes down to you don't get fired if you're not here. We understand you have a problem. Go take care of that. You're not getting paid. Yeah, which that's catastrophic, right? Because what percentage of of families are living paycheck to paycheck? Huge, a third at least. I've uh, I've had some experience uh, dealing with that policy, and it it seems sort of harsh where you – Send somebody, go ahead, go take care of your family problem. When they came back, they had a job in the facility, but not the job they had. Mm. And so they had to go do something else. But at that, but it's the same sort of uh, you know, thought. That person leaves. I had to go find somebody else and get them in that position yeah. to, to, to help keep the work going. And uh, by the time that person got back, it's not like I can just take this other person and shove them back to wherever they came from. You know, it's so you, you, I don't know. It's it's a it's a dance you have to play, but it seems like the rest of the world has kind of figured it out. Yeah, every other country. I mean, Except we're up there in Papua, Papua New Guinea. <laughs> it's it's just it doesn't seem like that's the and list that, you want to make. I, I think that's why this issue and why we're we're talking about it is every other country, except yeah. for us in a Papua New Guinea, yeah. have figured out how to make this work. Yeah, how to make this you know a, a function of society because they see a value in. You know, parents being with their kids. Well, and what's interesting to me is it's it seems like the conservatives are so against it economically. Yeah. But their language and verbiage is so for it because they're so for families. There's a yeah. You'd see there's a conflict, obviously. And you're there, for families, but not. Right. How do you do that and not be pro business? Yeah. It, there's those two conflicts. So we well, let's do this. Let's take a break. Let's come back and see if we can't deal with the conflict a little bit. How can you be pro-business and pro-family? Does that work? Well, yeah, it's got to somehow. There's, I mean, there's probably got to be a higher principle here. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll come back. We're talking the uh, basically parent leave, paid parent leave. Should you be paid? to go take care of your brand new baby or somebody that's sick in your family. We'll talk about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking uh, parental leave. You know, in 2002, California became the first U.S. state to guarantee six weeks of paid leave for mothers and fathers alike, financed by a small payroll tax contribution from eligible workers. Since then, Rhode Island and New Jersey have also followed suit with four and six paid weeks, respectively, while other states are taking steps towards similar policies. You know, in the Silicon Valley, many tech giants have also gone above and beyond the government mandate. Google offers men seven weeks of paid leave. Yahoo, eight. Reddit and Facebook, a generous 17 weeks of paid leave. Unfortunately, this is not the norm across the United States, despite studies that show the granting parental leave may actually help a company be more productive. Um, And so... You know, it's it's the research shows it does help a company be more productive. Um, It also shows that the the negative impacts aren't as big as once assumed or once believed. So joining us today is Dr. Ruth Milkman. Uh, She's a sociologist of labor and labor movements, currently a professor of sociology at the City University of New York Graduate Center and at the Joseph F. Murray Institute for Worker Education and Labor Studies. She's also a co-author of a study of California's paid family leave program. Good morning, Dr. Milkman. Good morning. Thank you for being on the show with us and helping us get some insight on this. My pleasure. Why, what is, I mean, we talked about it for a little bit before we could get you on the phone about parental leave. I mean, we, in politics, it seems like we are talking out of two sides of our face. Um, one side, we're all pro-family, love family, love the kids. Let's have a bunch of them. Other side, nobody wants to pay for them. Nobody wants to give the leave for the parents to go take care of these kids. It seems like, it, it seems like it's, it's. It's about the money in the end. Is that, is that what you're seeing in the research? Well, what we found was actually a little different. Um, this is a political crossover issue for some of the reasons you just mentioned. People do care about families and children in this country. Even. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true that our public policy is rather backward by world standards. Virtually every other affluent country has um, extensive paid leave for parents. Um, but actually, the only opposition politically comes from what I call organized business, that is, employers and their chambers of commerce and so on, and not oh. even all employers. Yeah. Um, everybody else is for it. All the polls show this. So the, so the people the health, are for it, it's, and, and even it's it just business. Overwhelming isn't? numbers, conservative and liberal yeah. and any other group that you might name. Now, but, but then some big business, uh, Yahoo, you know, Google, Facebook – um, wh- why are they so for it? Well, the more enlightened business people have recognized that this actually is good for them in many ways. It creates higher morale among employees. Um, it also helps them hold on to workers that they want to hold on to. In other words, turnover is reduced by having um, leave policies. Even if there isn't a requirement that you come back to the same employer, which a lot of them don't require, still the fact that you can get some kind of compensation during the period you're off from work to take care of a new baby or whatever, um, you know, creates loyalty. Yeah. So for all those reasons, many employers have um, begun to recognize the advantages of this. Where you see the biggest problem is, in, is not so much in those companies you mentioned, 
but in um, employers that are famous for their low wages and their squeezing of labor, mm. they see workers as disposable, and they're not interested in offering any benefits. You know, we saw this before Obamacare, too, in the healthcare world. Um, those are the workers who were left out. And so in the U.S., in the state, you know, 47 states lack any kind of state policy. Right. I don't know if you're going to ask me about the California law, which yeah. now also exists something similar in New Jersey and Rhode Island. But in all the other states, the way it works is, if you have these benefits, you have them at the pleasure of your employer. And so some employers do offer them, but mostly to professionals and managers, not to workers who need it the most, those who are struggling to survive every day at the very bottom of the labor market. They're the ones who are least likely to have these benefits. That's what I read, I I think, was from your study on the California Parental Leave uh, Act uh, is – the, it was it was the lower kind of earning employees were, that really benefited the very most from exactly the California right. policy. Yeah, Ta- and elsewhere too. Talk to so, us how the California policy worked. Well, it, it's the present tense you can use because it's still there. It's still working. Um, yeah, yeah, it still works. It's been a, that's the oldest program. It was it was legislated in two thousand and two and took effect in two thousand and four. So there's more than a decade now mm. of experience with it. How it works is this: um, California, along with those other two states I mentioned that is Rhode Island and New Jersey, and and another state that has this but does not have paid family leave is New York, by the way, where I live, which is sort of behind the curve here, I'm embarrassed to say. Anyway, those four states, and also Hawaii and Puerto Rico, have something called temporary disability insurance. They've had it since the 1940s. And what that is, it's different from workers' compensation, which you and your listeners probably are familiar with. This is if you say you break your leg at home one weekend and you can't work for a while. Yeah. You can get paid by the state temporary disability insurance for an off-job injury of some kind or some temporary disability. And those laws were extended to cover pregnancy in the 1970s when the women's movement, you know, was agitating for that. Um, so, and they're supported by a very um, modest tax, a payroll tax on workers, sometimes on employers, too. It varies from state to state. Um, that. It, it ends up being about 1% of payroll. This is very modest. And then you can draw on that benefit if you need it, either for a temporary disability, like a broken leg or a heart attack or whatever, or a pregnancy. So that's been around for a long, long time. And what California did, followed by those other two states, is to build on that program with its existing administrative bureaucracy and everything. You know, you didn't have to start from scratch. Right. Um, to add this additional benefit for bonding with a new baby for both men and women, or for caring for um, a seriously ill family member, you know, it could be an elderly person or anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, well, not quite anybody. There's like a list of relatives that are eligible. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's what the program was. And so what it offers is six weeks of wage replacement for those purposes. And that began in 2004. Wow. Um, so it's only six weeks, which by world standards is very limited. Um, it's very inexpensive because you know, that program was already there, and so the tax went up very slightly. Um, and it has benefited a lot of people. So that's well, the essence of how it works. And, let, and could they also then, they could still get their 12 weeks of unpaid, but they could also get six weeks of paid. Well, they overlap, actually. Oh, do they so overlap? Okay, so you get, get an additional the, six. Yeah, you're talking about the FMLA, yeah, uh-huh. the federal law, which passed in 1993. Now, that covers only about half of new mothers. Okay. Oh, really? Um, it has a lot of exclusions. So you have to work for a company that has more than 100. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not remembering. But anyway, there's a minimum number of workers. Yeah. 
um, and it has you have to have been on the job for a certain period of time and so on. So it excludes tons of people. Oh, wow. So, you know, some people are covered by both. Yeah. Now, what that law has, if you are covered by it, the federal law, um, it offers job protection. That is, the employer cannot refuse to hire you back after a leave, even if it is unpaid. The fact that it's unpaid, of course, makes it useless for a lot of right. You, you're not workers. gonna. Yeah, you can't but, live. But, you, but the California law does not have that job protection feature, unfortunately. So, if you're covered by FMLA, or actually, there's a California law that's similar to it. That, anyway, it's called CIFRA. That um, then you're you've got both job protection and some wage replacement. And by the way, it's not 100 percent of your pay; it's 55 percent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, so it, you know, it's still much better than zero. It is, and especially again for kind of maybe the lower income earners, it's it's a big deal maker. It's a big deal. Uh, who yeah. may not have the savings? Who may not have you know the the comfort zone to 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 play with that? Let's take a break. We're again we're talking with Dr. Ruth Milkman, who is a professor of sociology at City University of New York. We're going to come back. I want to ask her the benefits altogether of these programs. How how does it benefit society? Again, if we're one of the two of the only countries, uh, you know that that is not into giving this type of paid leave. Uh, for our our mothers that are having babies and fathers that are having children, I mean, let's let's figure out why. Let's figure out what the benefits are and what we may be really missing out on. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us is Dr. Ruth Milkman. She's a professor of sociology at City University of New York Graduate Center. And we are picking uh, her brain, quite honestly, trying to find out about parental leave. It seems like such a pro-family idea, and yet the businesses against are so against it. Um, but what are your beliefs? Should a mom or a dad be home with their newborn baby? And should it be paid? Now, I get it. I'm a small business owner. I know how hard it is to to pay for something like this. I really, truly do. And yet we're talking a lot about how much family values matter to us. We wanted to find out from a, a sociologist and a, an expert in labor issues. Um, again, Dr. Ruth, Ruth Milkman, welcome back to the show. Thank you. By the way, the employers don't pay a penny for it. It's paid 100 percent by workers. It's paid exactly. The well, it, oh, is it in California? In Actually, California, no, so they just well. pay yeah. an additional tax, yeah, the payroll tax, which is very modest. You know, because at any given time, yeah. very few people are using this, so that's why it's cheap. It's like you know, when you have any other kind of right. it's insurance. Yeah. So you know, you have the event once in a while, and then you draw on it. The rest of the time, you pay a small premium, very small in this case, like one percent of your. Of your income. I mean, again, to me, that seems like uh, uh, something we should all embrace, and yet it, uh, I guess you. the businesses yeah. are still fighting against it. I think well, I saw a study, are, 98% you know, fight, of them. Yes, and they, well, I don't even know if it's that high, but the, the chambers of commerce and other kind of organized entities of business tend to resist any kind of regulation, as you probably yeah, know. Sure. So if you want to pass a, an increase in the minimum wage, they're against that. Yeah. Any, I mean, my joke is if you passed a, tried to propose a law that says employees have the right to breathe in the workplace, the chamber would lobby <laughs> Hold against it. You know, they just don't like being told what to do. I understand yeah. that. I don't either. But this is, you know, the needs of people trump that, yeah. in my view. Talk, and so, talk about you know. the benefits of it. I mean, there there are one, – one of the things I know that came out of your study is uh, 
there's more breastfeeding going on of these babies? Yes. I mean, talk right. about so, more of the benefits. Well, so it's kind of obvious. You know, if you have um, time to bond with a new baby, you're going to have a better experience as a parent, and the baby's going to have a better experience, too. It's, um, so breastfeeding rates are higher. Obviously, it's easier to do that if you don't have to be on the job and also be, you know, juggling that with caring for a new child. Um, people report, I mean, again, all this is sort of obvious. Yeah. People report it's easier to find childcare and make arrangements for that, you know, if you don't have to go back to work the second after the baby's born. Yeah. Um, uh, ill family members, not just babies, but, you know, again, it can be used for caring for a, an ill family member, recover faster hmm. um, if they're cared for by a family member than if it's, you know, a stranger. So there's a lot of, you know, really major benefits. I think everybody kind of knows that. Well, and just the space to emotionally deal with it all. I mean, Well, right, and that's why it's called bonding leave, too, because Mm. the idea is that for both fathers and mothers, um, this is an opportunity to spend some time with a new baby and really, you know, build that bond. Um, That's actually the official term for those leaves. Hmm. Why why, why are other countries so ahead of the game? (laughs) I mean, like Sweden, I think we saw Sweden has more than a year of leave. Yeah, and most European countries have had something, you know, Sweden is the extreme, right. have had something fairly, you know, much more generous than the California law since like the 1940s. I mean, this is, and partly they did it for demographic reasons in those countries. They were interested in, um, especially after World War II, when populations were so decimated by the war, in, build, in rebuilding their population and encouraging birth. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, that, that, was, that was and, and helpful. more... And they also had more regulated economies generally in that period. You know, this is changing now, but although not on the family leave front. But, um, they, you know, they were social democracies that really believed in government having a major role in the economy. So this was just one piece of that. It's so interesting. I mean, it's got to be interesting research for you to see that now California has put something together. It is still a tax, but it's a tax that, you know, every grant, everybody's, you know, we're all benefited by being born. Hello. And yes. so it seems yeah, like exactly. something we could all get our heads around and at least appreciate. No, that's absolutely right. So um, and I think, you know, again, the tax is very small. Most yeah. people don't even know it's in their pay. You know, it's one of many things that come out of your paycheck. So yeah. um, and the other thing that's, you, you know, um, extraordinarily positive, in my view, about this law is that it um, it does cover both genders and it doesn't exclude anyone. Unlike the federal law that we were talking about right. earlier, there are no carve outs. So everybody's covered. Everybody's the only covered. Exception is self. Well, that's not quite true. The exceptions are self-employed people can opt into it, but they're not automatically covered. They would have to pay the tax, just mm. like they would, you know, with other such taxes. And then um, public sector workers are not covered, but the majority of them, not all, but most, have some kind of equivalent coverage. I love through that, Either a collective bargaining agreement or just through government work, you know. Yeah. But there are some that are left out, so it's not quite everybody, but way better than the federal law in that respect. Well, I appreciate it. Again, um, Dr. Ruth Milkman, and just to know that it, we're testing something else, and it and it can work. There there are answers out there, folks. So maybe talk to your congressman, your legislators, and see see what's going on. Maybe they could follow the, the model now that's gone all over. Rhode Island's into it now. Um, a lot of other states are looking into the California uh, pa- uh, paid family leave act as well. Well, we appreciate Dr. Ruth Milkman. We're going to take a break. Uh, Folks, again, we're just trying to give you the the ideas, the tools. Um, The reality is we got to use our brains, right? We, we, We can have our beliefs and think. Let's just start thinking. 
If we believe in families, we've got to facilitate family. And as a grandpa-to-be, I'd love my daughter to be able to have a little break as as she's having our grandchild. Um, It just seems like basic common sense, as Dr. Ruth Milkman was explaining to us. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt. And this is uh, an hour of fun, yet learning. 101. Got a great guest coming up uh, to join us in just a few minutes. Christine Romans. You may have heard of her. CNN's chief business correspondent will be joining us. She's going to be talking about uh, a book she wrote called Smart is the New Rich, Money Guide for the Millennials. Do your millennials, uh, do you feel like they're ready to get out there in the world financially? By the way, they have a completely different model and mentality than some of us baby boomer, baby boomers or ex-geners. They're different in a good way. And every generation's got a different kind of financial model. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later. I, I have a story here. What? Restaurants, their uh, overall sales down because millennials want to cook at home. They like See? to cook. They're not going out to eat. And they like Whole Foods. So restaurants are struggling because they're not getting the clientele in the door, but it's because the clientele's home cooking the food. See, that what they don't know is they're missing these huge portion sizes. <laughs> they're missing they're missing being able to take half of their food home and eat it for the next 2 days or just toughing it out and Putting that entire enchilada burrito plate away. What's exactly? Whoa. What's scary though is these millennials are probably going to be skinnier. Yeah, it says the restaurant business would appear to have a lot of factors in its favor, according to lay of the land, look of the industry by uh, this gentleman Jonathan Mays in a trade publication. These include low gas prices, a growing economy, rising yeah. consumer confidence. Boom, boom, boom. Yet analysts pr- uh, project that restaurant traffic growth will remain stagnant in the years to come. One reason, millennials, many of whom came of age in the crucible of the recession, yes, continue to eat at home. They enjoy being at home. They enjoy the the, the, the cooking. They like it. It's creative. They can, they yeah. can sit down and make something interesting. It's and, also the boon of um, all of the television shows, the cooking shows, yes. and the cooking channels. So now you're learning about kale. Whenever I leave my wife alone with a remote, cooking channel's on. When what I, are you doing? See, when I was a young 20-something kid, all kale was to me yeah. was that weed growing behind the backstop at the baseball diamond. Right. And I saw it as that little decoration thing they had on the salad bar that yes. you don't eat. See? But they put it there so it didn't just look like a bunch of plastic containers all lined no, up with tomatoes. Now it's the healthiest food on the earth. Now it's in my fridge. Is it really? My wife will mix it into things, and she go, "How did that taste?" And I go, "What'd you put in it? Kale? Why? What'd you? Do you <laughs> She's what did I do kale. today? <laughs> are you a, are you a millennial? No, I'm a Gen X. Yeah, 
I'm millennial. Jimmy's a millennial. I'm, I'm actually yep. right on the edge, depending on yeah. whatever the, I'm on the edge. age designation is. I'm a Gen Xer. Or a baby boomer. I'm a, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. You're a tail-end baby boomer, high-end Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, crack corn, though, you obviously like to cook at home because you bought your wife knives. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like the, all well, most millennials have found out that you can make food better food for yes. cheaper at home. Oh, I don't know. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You, you can. totally can. Yeah, I had can. the best. This was because I was sick Friday. I had I went to get my comfort food at a, comp, at a, 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 a restaurant. Mm. I, I won't name the name. <laughs> But it's known for noodles. It's a company known for noodles. And I had the best meal of my life. Kind of a factory setting? Uh, but I, I had it at home. I brought it home. Oh, okay. Because I was sick. All right. But, oh. See, and I, oh. I love takeout. Oh. I do too. I would rather eat their food at my house. Yes. I don't want to eat at their place. Mm-hmm. Just, oh. we, we We went to a, a deli and they... We thought we were going to walk in, get a sandwich, and leave, no, but yeah. you walk in and they sat us down. Uh, I'm like, oh, what just uh, happened? What did we just do? Uh, I looked at my wife like, we were supposed to go home and watch TV and eat food. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not you. It's me. But I want to eat at home. So we got the food to leave because my kid was melting down too, but I was really stressed. I wasn't going to sit in that restaurant and eat food. I needed to go. Yeah. Then you don't have to tip anyone either. There you go. When you make it at home. See? It's so good. But see, you are making great food. I'm sure. Like, what yeah. did you? What do? You, what's a meal that Jimmy Crack Corn and Kaylee would eat? Homemade. Uh, last week we made stuffed uh, peppers. That was really good. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> He's not impressed. Okay, no, it's impressive. We but did what about? lighter. We did kebabs the other day uh-huh. as well. Why don't you? Those are really why good. don't you stuff something that's like worth stuffing, like the sausage? Like <laughs> sausage. We did mm. stuffed sirloin steaks the other day. Ooh. I love stuffed sirloin. <laughs> stuffed with some hamburger See, that's and healthy. onion. So you're a healthy couple. And that's fun because you get to cut together and spend a lot of time making the meal. Yeah. Yeah. But that's where I fall short. I'm in the other room when the meal's being prepared. That's rude. Yeah, kind of. Get off your duff. But she doesn't mow the lawn either, so. That's true. So you guys have your chores. Uh, Division of labor. It's mm-hmm. important. Make sure you're, you you do a lot because yeah you're used to being home and helping. Yeah, you're helpful. Clear the way so she can have absolutely no concerns on the weekend. That's great. Play with the kid, and then after five minutes, she's like, "Why is he here?" The kid. Yeah. On because the it, yeah, because it's mom, 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 yeah. mom. She's like, I I don't like that name anymore. Benadryl. <laughs> Benadryl. Benadryl to drug the child. Nah, yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, it's probably a bad bad keep, tip there. You got to keep him awake. <laughs> Then you put him to bed at night. He's a taxing child at times. They all are. Hey, um, crazy news. Uh, Steph Curry, my son's idol. Basketball player, Golden State Warriors. Jumped over, over somebody. Somebody. And, and then toppled over and landed on his neck. That was bad. The back part of your... When you land on the back part of your neck, that's yeah. dangerous. Yeah. And yeah. that shook him up. And he, well, he laid there for a while. They took him to the locker room. He came back. Airballed his first shot, but who wouldn't? Of course. I mean, if I went out there right off, you know, a little neck injury, I bet I'd airball it. He came back to the game, seemed all right. The uh, game proceeded. The Golden State Warriors lost their first game of the series. First of six, the six straight wins. Yeah. And then they lost. But And then 
And then the fans stay. Some fans stayed there till five o'clock in the morning <laughs> because of in. flooding. And again, you don't think of Houston and flooding. Not I think it was a dry. Yeah, and and that's why it's, this rain in Texas is welcomed mm-hmm. because it's been so dry, but not this much rain at the same all at once. Yeah, and so the the ground is as they're saying is completely saturated. As much as two inches of rain would cause even more just yeah. immense flooding. Rivers are overflowing. It's record like thirty year record floods are going on. And uh, they said one of the I, I saw a report this morning. One of the biggest problems they're having now is they've told everyone to stay home. And people aren't staying home, and that's uh, slowing down the effort to uh, get out and assess the problems yeah. and help, help rescue people, that kind of thing, because there's people in the roads. And as they drive, they themselves get into more problems. So if you're in Houston, stay home. Stay take the home. Day. Take the day off. Everyone's going to understand. There's water everywhere. Yeah. There was tornadoes in Texas and Oklahoma and northern Mexico over the weekend. Uh, so just crazy weather. People are uh, are dealing with that this morning as they're... Uh, assessing as the the sun comes up, they're getting a good eye, a, a good you know vision of what's happened. Yeah. Uh, Memorial Day, obviously, over the weekend, our first, uh, as President Obama noted in his uh, Memorial Day speech, in first uh, Memorial Day in more than ten years that U.S. isn't involved in a ground war. I mean that's that's a big deal. Except some people are questioning, not that we want a ground war, but we, it doesn't seem like we're winning the one we're in. With right. ISIS? Yeah. The war on terror? Yeah. Yeah. No. Seems like, you know, we just keep at, losing At the moment, cities. it seems like it's a stalemate. Iraq and Iran are rejecting Defense Secretary Ash Carter's uh, claim on Sunday that Iraq forces, Iraqi forces just showed no will to fight, as he said, against yeah. ISIS as they fled, uh, which allowed the terrorist group to overtake the city of Ramadi. But that's the second time we've heard that they have no will to fight. Uh, Carter was likely given incorrect information because the situation on the ground is different, a spokesman for the Iraqi prime minister said. Ah. Uh, the, this was in the Associated Press. He goes, we should not judge the whole army based on one incident. Iran's top general says that America didn't help stop ISIS from advancing on Ramadi. So they're, really? they're, they're, they're claiming failures on the United States military. They were also saying it was all about the big sandstorm, and the sandstorm was the key. And some are, like, rebutting that and saying, hold it. Yeah. That's, it wasn't really about the sandstorm either. Uh, this was all during a CNN interview. These, uh, Carter, the uh, Ash Carter defense secretary, said uh, the Iraqi forces, they were not outnumbered. In fact, they vastly outnumbered the opposing force, Carter said in the interview, which aired Sunday. He goes, That's just, that says to me, and I think most of us, that we have an issue with the will of the Iraqis to fight ISIS and defend themselves. Mm. And, of course, Iraq, their leaders are pushing back, and Iran's like, huh? You guys didn't go. do anything to stop them, and that would have been, been the, the the story about the sandstorm, and yeah. it was too hard to actually do anything. So everyone's uh, having a disagreement of opinion on Everybody's blaming there. everybody. The Senate blocked a bill early on Saturday that would have ended the National Security Agency's bulk collection of phone records, Through though the, the bill received strong approval in the House earlier this month. The NSA program expires June 1st, but a short-term measure to keep the program alive past the date also failed Saturday. The Senate is expected to reconvene May 31st to try to save it again. Wow. That was on Saturday. See, so yes. they all didn't just rush home. That's because of old Rand. Rand Paul, you know, created a little mini filibuster, kept them all there on Saturday. Uh, John Forbes Nash Jr. Mm. You know who that is? No. See the movie A Beautiful Mind. Okay. Oh, yes. That uh, Nobel Prize winning yeah. mathematician. 
He uh, was uh, depicted in that movie. He died along with his wife of nearly yeah. 60 years on Saturday in a taxi crash oh, on no. the New, New Jersey Turnpike. Oh, wow. He, him, they were in a taxi cab, says they were not wearing seatbelts when the driver of their taxi tried to pass another car and crashed. Tragic. So he passed. But uh, if, you, if you watch that movie, you can see some of um, the events of his life. So the movie was criticized because it wasn't 100% accurate, but yeah. most movies How are. old was he? He was 86. His wife was 82. You know, what a great way to go. I mean, that sounds morbid. But to go with your wife together, boom, done. Instead of these protracted, long illnesses and at the age of 86 and 82. I mean, that's – as somebody that's watching people die slowly, it's – sometimes that's beautiful. And this uh, a story we've talked about multiple times now when it came to net neutrality. Yes. And there was Comcast and Time Warner Cable and they had this deal that was going to go through and then it was stopped because of its apparent – problems that people had with uh, one one company owning too much of the cable industry. Charter Communications is, a, is uh, close to finalizing. They announced a deal that they are, this morning, uh, set to purchase Time Warner Cable for about $55 billion. Whoa, here we go. So again, another test of the uh, net neutrality concept when it came to the FCC. Yeah. The deal would entail Charter paying about 195 shares, for which is about 14% of Time Warner Cable's closing stock price on Friday. So uh, this deal would have to be reviewed, and there would be course, months they're hoping by late 2015 and all this kind of stuff. But another major purchase of cable industry and who's going to control the internet. Everybody's maneuvering. You'll see oh, that, that coming oh, up in oh, the news here. The maneuvering. They're, they're, they're trying to all get a position because this is going to start to solidify, my friends. Then whoever's got the content and the channels, boom, game on. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, Christine Romans is going to be joining us, CNN's chief business correspondent, also the author of the book Smart is the New Rich, Money Guide for Millennials. She's going to walk us through, uh, you know, the, the, the things that millennials need to make sure they know. It's a different world for the millennials, um, even how they see money, how they approach money. It's, uh, it's an interesting twist. We'll be learning about it up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, our economy has experienced quite a number of changes over the years, due in part to the different mentalities of our different age groups, like baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials. Each generation has experienced different family structures, work ethics, technological realities. From nuclear families to single working parents and the iPhone, each generation has implemented various philosophies for living the good life Financially, though, millennials are beginning to find their footing. Miss Christine Romans is joining us. She's CNN's chief business correspondent, recently uh, also penned a book uh, entitled Smart is the New Rich, Money Guide for Millennials, which has tips for the rising generation about how to best handle their financial future. She joins us now. Miss Romans, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Nice to, nice to be here. Great to have you on the show. And uh, by the way, Smart is the New Rich, you're, it's a whole series of books, really. 
Yeah, this is this one is geared just to millennials and sort of the really interesting opportunities they have in their, uh, you know, in college, after college, and starting in their working career. So I really wanted to focus in on millennials. You bet. We, in fact, we just did a story about how the restaurant businesses uh, as an industry, it's kind of stagnating because some of it was attributed to millennials are eating more in than they are eating out. So and just, they want different things. Yeah. They want different things. They want sort of value and uh, value for their dollar. And by value, I don't mean do they, they, they just want cheap. They want to have an experience that, I mean, the fast food, for example, McDonald's has a very serious millennial problem. Millennials are the first generation that, you know, McDonald's isn't their go-to fast food. How interesting. And uh, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, well, yeah, c- come on. That's Americana. <laughs> How else are you yeah, going to gain weight? I know, and it's so it's cheap too. It's sort of the cheapest way to eat. But millennials want different things. Teach you know, us about these millennials, because we at BYU we work with a lot of them. I have a lot of them around me, and I've always thought they were different. But they really are. They they're just they're almost smart in a way that um, they they don't buy into all the stuff we used to buy into. No, that's a really good point. And one thing I found in writing the book is that, um, especially at work, millennials entering the work fit force. And millennials, by the way, are ages 18 to 35. I would say 35 is the very high end of that group. Some of those 35-year-olds are, are more like Gen Xers, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. that's the, the definite demographic area we're talking about. But they're entering the workforce, and um, they look at Gen X and baby boomers, and they're like, "What? This <laughs> this is all you get? This is it? You know? What? They are study yeah. after study has shown." that millennials would rather take less pay and have a more interesting job or have more flexibility. And that's the first generation to not want to climb the corporate ladder, to not see it sort of as a race to put one foot in front of the other and to, you know, finish on top. They want more for the work experience. And I think that's going to change how we do business. Just last week, um, I think it was Pew said that there are now more millennials in the workforce than Gen X or baby boomers. Yeah. So that's remarkable. The things that they want from a job will eventually change sort of the nature of work. Yeah, you're not going to be able to keep them hostage by just paying them more. <laughs> right. They want different things, and they want to work their own way. So I, I think that's really interesting, and I think that they have a really bad rap. And, I mean, if you Google millennials at work or millennials uh, in the workplace, you'll get all these newspaper magazine columns about how terrible they are and how nobody likes them. They yeah. don't want to work hard. And I've found that that's not actually right. all that true. I think there are sort of these two speeds. I mean, you've got some real go-getters um, who are out there – changing kind of the dynamic in the office and, you know, are, are really good for business. There are others who have a lot of kids who have way too much student loan debt and they kind of can't, they, they don't have flexibility to change jobs or take the job they want because they have to pay their bills. And for those kids, I'm really worried. But um, there's a, an acronym, um, it's called HENRY. Millennials are named HENRY, High Earner, Not Rich Yet. Hmm. Think of that. So they have this really great earnings potential and earnings power, and that's where I kind of think of the the group that's really moving and changing are these Henrys, high earner, not rich yet, who are out there making spending decisions every single day and who should be saving more money, by the way, and investing, but we can get to that later. Um, But they they really are an exciting generation, I think, to watch, and I think they're going to change this country. And they – so they're not investing. They're not necessarily saving. They're really just experiencing life. Yeah, 
I think that's a. They're really spending good their money, look at right, it. on experience. They don't. I, one thing I think is they do not deny themselves, and uh, they do not. I mean, they they somehow have the safety net and the resources to be able to buy the latest iPhone or or a new Android or you know they 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 are managed to find the money to go on trips. Um, a lot of them, I mean, 70% of parents say they are still supporting their college gra- recent college graduate yeah. millennial with rent. And so they have this backdrop of a family that, um, you know, it's the helicopter parents who like that their kids are still really close to them. And um, there's a lot of financial support going both ways. But I think that they need to be investing. I want everyone investing by the age of 25 at the latest. And these millennials, having grown up during, you know, just think of what's happened since the year 2000. Sure. I mean, financial crash, terrorism, you know, war on terror, just all of this negativity. Uh, they save like they are World War II um, generation. And they need to save money, but they also need to be investing and in, in growing for the future, too. So I'm trying to nudge them. They've got 40-year horizon. I'm trying to nudge them into, um, into making their money grow for them, not just holding on to it. Well, it seems like the economy would do so much better if they were investing, right? I mean, there's so many of them. I mean, the stock market has had such a great run over the past six years. And so when I talk to kids who say, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to gamble my money, I say, do you look at the, you know, just look at the stock market. Understand the companies that make the components of your phone. Understand the companies that make the components of the car you drive or the plane you ride in. You know, be curious about how the world works because about half of Americans are invested in the stock market and the other half aren't. And that investing class is the class that's building wealth. And there's no reason why some Someone who doesn't even make very much money can't be a part of the investing class. So I really want them not to feel intimidated by financial terms or intimidated about, you know, finance. Yeah. I want them to understand it. And because they've got 40 years, time is the supercharged, um, you know, the supercharged benefit that they have that no one else can get. Yeah, the, the X factor, isn't it? You, um, mm-hmm. It seems like some of this, too, is just debt. They, they probably have a higher amount of student loan debt than anyone else, right? Yeah, Any other generation. Um, you know, Gen X has a lot of student loan debt still, and that's troubling to me, too. That's, that's still a problem. And Gen X is actually, when you look at who really uh, really suffered after the financial crisis and, you know, over the past 10 years, the, the Gen Xers are the ones more likely to be underwater on their loan, on their mortgage, and have student loan debt. Yeah. So I'm a little worried about those guys. But when you talk about, um, when you talk about the millennials, you know, they do have too much debt, and some of it is self-inflicted. Um, only 39% of kids are graduating in four years. That's um, the worst financial mistake you can make, is not graduating college in four years. Right. If you, especially if it's on borrowed money. If you're borrowing money and you're taking more than four years. Now, if, you, if you're doing an edu- engineering five-year degree, I get it. You know, that's, or, or some of these, there's some nursing programs that take longer, too. What but, if you're working your way up in the fraternity leadership? Yeah, that's actually not really a good use of your borrowed money. <laughs> but you could put um, that on your resume. Yeah, well, you can't put it on your resume, but you know. Uh, yeah. So I Get think out. That we've gotten we've gotten a little <laughs> we've gotten a little blasé about how easy it is to borrow so much money, and some of it is not. Um, self-inflicted. Some of it is the fact that you get to, to school and the classes are oversubscribed and the university is spending all this money on sports, you know, sports and recreation yeah. centers and um, you've got an adjunct professor teaching all your classes and you can't get the class you need. So 
um, some of it is some of it's not fair, and some of it is just we're borrowing too much money. Mm. Uh, hang on with this, Christine. We're going to take a break again. We're talking with Christine Romans. You, you've seen her for sure on CNN. She's CNN's chief business correspondent. She's the real deal. Also, an author of Smart is the New Rich: Money Guide for Millennials. It's a whole series. Smart is the New Rich, and uh, she's teaching us insight, giving us the tools we need uh, with our millennials to see um, what they might need to be doing a little bit more of. Maybe investing so far. That's one thing we've learned. We'll take a break. More with Christine Romans right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, those millennials, ages 18 to 35, if you have any of them in your life, uh, they, they got a different view. And again, that's kind of a general generality, but um, there's something that's just different. And maybe it's because, you know, as an ex-gen, I raised one or a baby boomer maybe it may have raised one. But they see the world a little differently, so we wanted to to have uh, Christine Romans join us. She's CNN's chief business correspondent, and uh, she is the author of the book "Smart Is the New Rich: Money Guide for Millennials." She's teaching us um, basically what are what's what should the focus of the millennial generation be when it comes to their money? It's one thing to just save it, and one thing to go experience the world. But uh, there might want to be a few other uh, investments. Is that right, Christine? Yeah, I think they need to be investing for the future. So I have in the book something that I call the prosperity formula, and that is basically your earnings minus your spending equals your savings. Your savings times time equals wealth. And I want kids to really understand how that works, that you have to be living on 85 cents of every dollar you bring in, and that other 15 cents should be working for you for the future. And I use very simple terms and simple math to sort of show how that works and how over 40 years, that's how you build wealth. Now, every now and then somebody will say, oh, all you care about is money, and all you're talking about these kids <laughs> is about money. Well, no, I care about flexibility. Flexibility. I want them to be able to move to another part of the country because they want to pursue a different job or because they want to live there. I want them to have choices. And when you have prosperity, you can have choices and you can live your life, you know, however you want. And so that's what I want. I want them to have that flexibility. And if they're tied down with too much student loan debt and if they are paying too much rent, which almost all millennials are, um, then they've got to figure out how to get out from under those two big burdens and start moving forward instead of just, you know, uh, treading water. So uh, those those two things are really big parts of the book, um, the student loan part of it, but also uh, the rent and, and how to live your life so that you can still do the things you want to do and have the things you want to have, but also be building for the future. Is it true that millennials are, are less inclined to buy a home and, and instead do rent? They just rent? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. What's and, that and about? They, they just, it's, the, it's record low record low rates of homeownership for um, this young generation. I mean, when, when my generation or the baby boomer generation uh, were coming out of college, of you know, five years out of college, they were moving toward renting or toward buying, rather. Um, it's very different. It's different. They've got too much student loan debt. And in other cases... Um, they uh, they are they they just can't they don't they don't think it is 
the American dream for them. They saw their parents, you know, uh, underwater on their mortgage, or they saw their home prices crash. They don't want that to happen to them. Now, the biggest piece of advice I give, um, and this has been very controversial, Matt, if someone has too much student loan debt, by too much I mean not something that can be paid off in 10 years, um, if someone is paying 50% of their income on rent, I say move home. If you can move home, move back with your parents. Why? Because they love you, and they want you to move back home anyway, and you love them. 70% of millennials say their best friend is their parents. Really? (laughs) And their parents say the same thing back. So they have a different relationship. You talk about how it's a different generation. They really do. My my, my parents were not my friends. You know, (laughs) they they were my parents. Yeah. Um, And they expected me to get a job and and fly away, which is what I did. Um, but if you're spending too much on, on, on rent and too much on your student loans, move home, work, work and live at home, do a two-year contract with your parents, and spend every penny that you earn to get out of that debt uh, and to, or to build a, a little nest egg so that you can launch and get an apartment. I love that idea. And because otherwise, you're, you're doing it informed and you have a contract. Because yeah, sometimes it's just – it's a never-ending – Right. Promise. The contract is so, and the contract is so simple. Um, the first year, you each have a mutual out. So after one year, the parents can say, "This is not working. We love you, but this is not working." And, right. Or the kid can say, "This is not working." And so you have this out, and then you you finish the second year, and then you can renew if you want. And, you know, I don't think you should live at home forever. But look, housing costs are still high. Rents are rising. People have too much debt. Um, it just makes sense. If this generation likes their parents as much as they say they do, what's the problem? That's right. Get out of what's debt. What's the problem, especially if you're on the you know on the east coast or you're in a high uh high uh cost of living city anywhere in north america um it makes a lot of sense well and it's not like you you can still have your life and your social life you just come home to sleep and (laughs) and to be grilled by your parents i also think one of the really great uh sort of sort of quid pro quo in that whole relationship too is the kids i'll say so the, the, the child is responsible for the technology budget of the household. So the kid pays for the triple play or for the cable. Oh, there the you internet, go. And they probably even know how to get the best deal or what the family needs anyway, right? You bet. So, so in some of these relationships that I've, that I've charted over the past year or two, people who do this, it's really worked out nicely because the kid becomes sort of the technology manager of the household and the parents, you know, get to save Benefit. a couple bucks that way. And so it's, it's a nice relationship as long as everybody gets along and everyone's contributing. That's great. And it's, it's all fun and games until one of you wants to get married. Or, or, one <laughs> to get married. Then it's like, okay, my parents' house or your parents' house? <laughs> then there's Hopefully a fight. Hopefully you got that straightened out. But I don't think they're getting married. They're, they're not. That's they're, true. They're so not why even married. talk about it? <laughs> what, really, that is, that is seriously, I think, great advice because normally we're like, yeah, you got to – these kids are boomeranging back. But that's fine to come back if you got a plan and an out. And, and if it's going to unbury you and you leave with some strength, that's powerful. That's exactly the point, too. And people, um, a lot of people online were saying, you know, what, you know we launched our children. We, we, we taught our kids how to grow up and be independent. Now you're saying they should come home and, you know, hang on to our apron strings. And I said, well, if you taught them how to be independent, they and wouldn't they need to come debt, home. They wouldn't need to come home. That's you right. know, I mean, you, you didn't, these kids are 22 years old and they are financial debt managers. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, they, they need some help. They need a break and we should give it to them. Now, um, that being said, I mean, I'll tell you, there's a kid that I profile in the book. I mean, he really was smart. He, um, he came back from school with $40,000 in student loan debt, and he lived at home for 18 months and saved every penny of his 
first job out of school hmm. and paid off all of his student loan debt in two years. Wow. All of it. Yeah. And then turned around, spent another six months at home, and banked all of the money just so he had cash, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and he's not even 30, and he's bought an apartment with somebody in New York City. That's I mean, great. that's un- unheard of. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it makes real sense if they're smart about it. It's the smart millennial, isn't it? It's um, Talk about uh, maybe some of their retirement, because... I mean, too, you get in these jobs and you don't know if you should do matching funds. How much should I right. be investing? Right. Where do I go with right. that? I'm so glad you asked. Well, when I say the word retirement to my to my um, my sort of brain trust of millennials when I was writing this book, they their eyes just glaze over <laughs> it. They don't care. I mean, wow. that word is like saying kryptonite. I mean, they just yeah. don't even care about it. It's just this. Uh, so I try to you know, speak in more near-term views for them, and I tell them about the free money that is coming from their company um, that's in the 401k, and how that free money, the number one personal finance rule for them is not to pass up when somebody gives you free money. <laughs> and uh, so I want them in tax advantage accounts right away, even if they have student loan debt. You can be you can be investing uh, in a in a tax tax advantaged account, and it can actually benefit you. So if you have a bunch of student loan debt, uh, and you uh, sign up for the company 401k, uh, and you're on an income based repayment plan for your for your student loans, so that caps at like 10% of your of your take home pay goes to pay for student loans. The the contribution you're making to your 401k actually lowers your AGI, your adjusted gross right. income. So it lowers your your student loan payment too, and you're getting free money. So it really it really is a good deal. I that's a great deal, boy. Yeah, it's, I mean it, it raises your I mean it raises your interest payment over the yeah. long term. But hopefully, hopefully you're gonna you know you're gonna get your get, get, dig get, yourself get, out. You can dig yourself out and be able to get out of those. Well, and go live with your loans. mother and father, and someday they'll okay. die, and you'll inherit money. I don't know. I think they all have debt too. I'm not sure. I just don't want. I want to stop this debt spiral. I'm really concerned about that debt spiral. So that's sort of one of the real big impetus for the book is just let's get our heads out from underwater and and really try to move forward here. And I think these kids are smart. Yeah. They're the most educated generation in American history. They want more from you know from their money. They have very good earnings potential. They really do. Um, the job market is getting better. I, I think that they've got a good shot. It seems like they are discouraged. Uh... Just trying to find a job. I mean, some of them have student debt and they can't find a job anyway. What What do you say to the, those that are just financially discouraged or even employment discouraged? I, I hear it a lot from people, too. And um, I just try to tell them about the cases I see over and over again of people who are able to get out from under it, you know. Um, and, and And there are so many great cases of people who just don't think – because they happen to be born at a time when you know all these crazy things happen in the economy, they're not going to make an excuse. They're going yeah. to figure out how to get out from under it. Um, I will tell you that I, I sometimes feel badly because I hear a lot from kids who are not working in their career, career field or they are, especially social work, education, um, music, some of the liberal arts fields where they are smart they pursued a career that maybe a generation ago would have been more rewarded in the economy, but they're not, they're not earning a lot of money when they got out of school. And that's a shame. There are some good um, student debt repayment programs that uh, everyone should look into. If you're in a field that is um, a public service field, for example, and you have federal student loans, 
after 10 years of working in that field, the rest of your student loan debt will be forgiven. Huh. Uh, these, these are called income-based repayment programs, and, and you can go to the, the Department of Education website and see some of these, but there are, um, there are ways that um, Congress, by, in 2007, Congress, uh, uh, both sides of the aisle, passed this bill to make sure that we are still, we're, we're, that nobody who goes into public service is going to drown in debt for the rest of their life. And yeah. that's something that's like a very proud, you know, it's a proud moment sure. when the country decided that, that so for nurses and, do- and um, you know, firefighters and teachers that uh, we're not going to let them, you know, die with their student loan debt, thank goodness. I think that's especially because this, it seems like millennials are prone to want to do something of purpose and, you know, that's, that helps them kind of self-actualize or others yeah. actualize. You're absolutely right. Uh, and, and I think that it's... Um, Oh, let me give you a, sort of an interesting example. Yeah. Um, Pew, uh, the Pew Research, this has been three or four years ago, it took five different generations. We have more generations sort of in the workforce in America now than any, uh, any other time. Five generations and asked them to use five words to describe themselves. And every generation except the millennials used hard work as one of the mm. phrases. Millennials did not. They chose value, innovation, um, flexibility. They they used different words. They used words that didn't even exist on the uh, on the baby boomer list. Really, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So of all these generations, all of them defined themselves. One of the five characteristics of their generation they said was hard work, but not millennials. <laughs> millennials did not say that. They don't want to work hard. No. They want to work smart. smart. Well, that, that's and why these older generations look work. at them like they're strange. Like, what is your deal? Just go work. I know. I but, know. They think they're lazy or something. But yeah. we've, we, we, I mean, we've we know created better. this. Yeah. We, but we've created it, right? I mean, because we, we, this is the first generation. They got a trophy for just being on the Everything. soccer team, That's right. not for winning the tournament. We didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We've made finally a generation of people who are confident. We've gone, we go, you know, this is the first generation where bullying is not acceptable. It's not just, yeah. it's not like a, a rite of passage. That's right. So these kids go off in the workforce, they're like, well, no, that doesn't fly. I mean, you've taught me to be confident, and I've got this great safety net, and I know I'm smart, and no, I'm not going to do that if I don't want to. That's <laughs> true. And so that's, I guess, the downside of it if, you are, if you're in the workforce and you don't like how millennials work. But the upside is you've now got a, an empowered right. generation. An empowered consumer, a potentially empowered investor. You've got somebody who can uh, look at maybe the way things, quote-unquote, work and say, that doesn't work for me. Let's find a better way. Mm-hmm. And maybe we will find a better way. I, I, another really exciting statistic to me is there is this wage gap, right, between men and women. Yeah, Everyone knows yeah, it. Yeah. It's like 82 cents or, you know, depending on what industry. It's just, it's just like the sky is blue and women earn less than men for the same job. That's just the way it is. And we can argue about how it's slowly changing or maybe it isn't changing. And in tech, it's even worse. But when you look at Single, childless, college-educated men and women in big cities in North America, guess what? There is no wage gap. In the millennial world. In millennial world, there's no wage gap for these kids when they're first starting out, and that's never happened before. Wow. Why? That's exciting to me, too. That's really exciting. I think because, I don't know. I actually don't know, but um, I've talked about it a lot to people who have also seen it in the workplace. Maybe women... um, negotiate or you know this generation of women are negotiating better, better negotiators, yeah they believe or maybe more. or they know what they're worth yeah is. they're more likely to ask when i was when i was coming out of college nobody told me the first salary they offer you ask for something higher no one told me that yeah you don't dare these, 
these women know to ask for something higher. You know, they know <laughs> that, that, that the first number is not the last number. That's right. And I think that uh, that's I think that's kind of exciting. Now, whether it lasts, I don't know, but um, I think it's really exciting. That is exciting. It's, I think it's because we as parents, you know, they, they knew that they could work us, play us, manipulate us. <laughs> So my kids always ask for more. They know that the first no just means three more times you got it, buddy. Three more times I'll give in. Well, this is, I think, a fascinating uh, and important book, quite honestly. Are you going to do one for every generation? You need to do one for Gen Xers. Maybe. My first Smart as a New Rich was really, it wasn't made for Gen Xers, but it was just a few years after the financial crash, and it was that one was just... Uh, that was just, look, the whole world fell apart. Let's put the pieces back together and let's look at the rules for how we're going to get out of this. And that was really, uh, that one was a very helpful one for Gen Xers. That's great. Well, we appreciate you, Christine. You're the best. This is, and you made it sound so easy. (laughs) It was really nice to talk to you. Great to talk to you. And again, go check out the book, Smart is the New Rich, Money Guide for Millennials. Again, you can catch Christine Romans on CNN. She's the chief business correspondent there. She's the real deal, folks. And uh, helping millennials figure out their money issues. And parents, how cool that we can understand our millennials a lot better. They're not just strange. They are... (laughs) They're empowered. They're creatures of our creation. We're we're the ones that uh, have played such an important part in this. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll do a little Coach's Corner, talk more about uh, improving our relationships with millennials. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we always uh, joke, laugh about the millennials and how they're, you know, they're not leaving home. They just keep boomeranging back. But you know what? Um, There's something to that. And uh, Christine Romans, uh, our last guest, just brought up the fact that they, they have such a great relationship with their parents. That's not all bad. Well, yeah, but people need to grow up and... They need to learn to be on their own. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And they also need to learn to relate to their parents. So you may already have that great relationship with your kids. You may also be wondering, uh, you don't want to over, you don't want to enable it, right? You don't want them to never learn how to get on their feet. So that idea she was bringing up of maybe if they come back, you, you basically create a contract with them. And I, I'm a big believer in that. And you sit down. And we create a win-win. And you talk to your millennial and you tell them what's a win for you and what's a win for them. I loved Christine's idea that you have the the millennial be in charge of your technology. If they're going to live at home, you be in charge of your technology. Let them be in charge of the technology in making sure you've got the best router and the best Wi-Fi numbers. And I mean, use that. And let's have a plan for how you're going to pay off your debt. So the way I would do it is to make sure the child's getting ahead, not just, you know, getting comfortable, but that they're getting ahead in their debt. So I'd probably sit down with them and and have them set some goals, have them explain what their goals are and start making sure that uh, maybe in a quarterly meeting or something, we just talk about how things are working. I'd also maybe 
you know, be careful about giving them their free space. Give them enough free space. Um, it doesn't mean you, you always have to make every meal for them. You might even want to negotiate that. Should I plan on making a meal for you? How does that work? And and what happens when we bring friends over and, and all of those discussions that need to be there? But you're not going to get very far with your millennials if you if you just have a bunch of ideas like they're just no good. You know, they're just weird. These kids aren't the same. They're not going to be like a baby boomer. They're not going to be like a Gen Xer. They're just different. And your child is even different from that. So there are some, you know, uh, millennials that um, Christine was calling Henry's, high earners, not rich yet, Henry's. Um, and, And, you know, maybe there's some that just love video games. So those that love video games, I wouldn't just probably have your millennial just come home and work on video games all day. I would make sure that there's some other plan, and um, that that's a hard role you got to play. I have a child that's about to graduate from college or from high school, and you know it's time to set some new rules and some limits. And he's incredibly smart, and yet doesn't love school and yet is incredibly talented online and has built, you know, websites and YouTube pages and knows how to get traffic to them and knows how to make money online and all legal and ethical and moral. So we've got a really big plan for him. (laughs) When school's done, he's going to get a job. We're not even going to pretend to send him to college yet. He's going to get a job. And we're going to negotiate a really good deal where he can live at home, but he's got to get learning what a work life is like. And it's hard because he can make money, you know, putting together a wedding video for some couple and make great money and get it done in a day's work and then doesn't have work tomorrow. So everybody's different. So don't just assume that any age, you know, difference is going to automatically be a millennial. Figure out your child. Figure out what their wins are. What do they need out of the deal? And what do you need out of the deal? Be sure that you also share your win. To make a win-win, it's got to be mutually beneficial. You both have to be winning. Don't assume you know what their win is. Well, your win is that you get a place to sit and eat. Well, that's not always a win. They might be able to get that somewhere else, and it may not be better for them. Figure out what their win is and also be willing to voice what your win is. I'd also make the the arrangement short-term and evaluated regularly. Let's evaluate it today. Let's evaluate it in a, every quarter. Let's just sit down and see how we're doing. Is this agreement working for you? Is it working for me? I would really tie it to some other goals like financial uh, debt payments, advancing, you know, or, or money, aggregating money so that these people can go out and get into something like a home or if they're dating somebody, eventually get married or whatever. So it's a plan. Everybody is different. Um, And uh, I think in the end, you're going to want to stay close to these people as well. We talked to to other guests last week that so many people are just, you know, they're big into just getting away from everybody going, you know, make their big money in New York. And when they get to New York, they find out that that's not what makes them happy. What makes them happy is being at home with their family and seeing their family and being close 
to, you know, the a lot of other benefits. So talk to your kids, for heaven's sake. Let's just figure this out. We can figure it out together. We're smart people. Don't judge the millennials. Um, and don't just judge them by a generation. Judge, you know, talk to them. Figure out what your kids' goals are. They need your feedback. They need your push. They need your insight. They also need your patience. That's it, folks. Hour uh, number two. It's in the books. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back, do some headlines, start a whole new hour right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, where we try to give you the tools you need to live a healthier life for you. Not just the news. We try to give you uh, the latest research, latest ideas to live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. Welcome to the program. Doing what we can. Nine to noon Eastern time. Right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Here's the deal. Uh, we had a great weekend. I was sick. But it was great because I watched two or three different Netflix series, two or three different shows. <laughs> to watch Daredevil? No. Oh. It's funny because I don't know what to watch. There's a lot to watch on there. There's a lot to watch. Quite and you've given me two or three to go see. And yes. my wife's not really interested in any of it. They're for you. I know. Tell but, her to I know, go but, read a book. Well, but she but I feel weird because I'm just sitting there just watching. My my experience is different as my wife doesn't seem to care because she's playing games with her sister on an iPad. That's how they interact oh, that's, during the week. Well, what kind of games are they playing? Like Words with Friends and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. Sounds fun. Like last night, I'm like, so what do you, what do you want to watch? Ah, it doesn't matter. I'm like, all right, so I just whatever. watched whatever I wanted. And she didn't pay attention at all. Yeah. That's fun. And then half the stuff I watch, I, I can watch maybe, I can have like 30% paying attention to the show mm-hmm. and the rest of it, whatever I'm doing, and still follow the entire plot line because they're very basic shows. They're, real, they're, they're not, not really deep. complicated, yeah. They're shallow- Shows. Yeah, and they're called network programming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what else ticks me off? I Taxes? just No, well, that too. Okay. But I just changed my cable deal, my cable package. Okay. And now all of these shows you told me to go see, they're not in my package. That mm. how could it be that they're on cable so I could watch them live? Yes. And I could watch them for a couple days. Then they go into a special package where you have to pay more. Yes. To go rewatch a show that's on TV. It's called the American Way, Matt. It's called the Shakedown. That's how it is. It's always a way to charge you more. Always. Maddening. So then, anyway. you, then you have to have a decision. It always baffles me when they do things like that, where you pay for the service, they offer it for a few days, and then it's gone. Yeah. And then they wonder why things get pirated. <laughs> they wonder why people are going to nefarious sites to download the content and watch it there instead of paying them the money. Yeah. And it's because you have policies that are kind of jerky. 
It's you know, a you're jerky. just kind of doing That's things right. to be jerks. Well, and I just saw an ad on my cable show that tells me to go buy satellite dish. Yes. And I'm like, I'm coming. I'm a coming. Yeah. We but did That's uh, not even like the that's not even the best situation either. No. There's problems there. Oh, I know. It's the deal is it you're never happier where you go. No. There's always a downside. Except last night we did watch Best in Show. And? Have you seen that? No. That is the greatest movie of all time. Is it a dog show? It's a dog show. Yeah, that would be the reason why I don't watch it. No, you have to watch no, it. It's, it's fine. hilarious. It's it, like that Zoolander show. I think I can live my like entire Zoolander. life and not have that show in in my <laughs> my memory. I'll be fine. It's fantastic. Best in show. Best in show. It was. It's just something, and we just enjoyed it as a family because it's it's the you can tell it's the beginning of those kind of documentary films where they have a shaky camera and right. they're just interviewing people at a dog show. At a dog show, which is like The Office, which is one of my favorite shows right. of all time. Which is kind of a dog show. It, no, it's not. The office <laughs> oh, has right, no dogs. Right. No dogs. No dogs in the office. <laughs> anyway. There's but, some dogs. So I was sick, so I just watched shows, and Best in Show is my now, it's my new favorite show. So overnight, yeah. Houston's flooded. Yes, tragic. Oklahoma and parts of Texas, tornadoes. Flooding. Pe- horrible situations T- Tornadoes, there. flooding, uh, Steph Curry. Flying in the wind. Golden State Warrior guard falls on his neck, but he's okay. He's okay. He might be a little shaken up, but he'll he should be, recover. He's he's tough. He's a oh, warrior, a he's, Golden State Warrior. He's a warrior, folks. A a car found outside or on the National Mall in a parking spot yeah. with a pressure cooker and a propane tank in the back seat, and Not it was a, a mistake. It was a mistake. The guy uses those that equipment for his job, but of course food. you bring that to you to the National Mall. Yeah. I walked into there on vacation, and I went through five security checkpoints. Yeah. I don't know how you get that onto the mall, but he did. Has he not heard of a, like the Boston bombing? Yeah, that was kind of... Uh, but And his car was smelled like gasoline. Yeah, so there was some concern. They... Took the pressure cooker, detonated it, so now the guy needs a new pressure what? cooker. I'm making, I'm making said, preserves. He said it was stupid, and he should have thought more about the process. Yeah. It's like when you have a gun yeah. on the gun rack, and you just you leave don't it think there. You just drive into the city. Drive into the drive capital into building. DC. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and then there were several flights coming into New York and DC, the East Coast, JFK. Yeah, uh, that threats mm-hmm. were called in of some chemical nature, and so they had to search airplanes yesterday. Oh man! So all this was going on. It's not a very calm day other than that. Yeah. Those are your, I guess, your bigger stories of the day. Yeah. Um, the world's biggest hotel is set to open in Mecca in 2017. Really? For what? Tourism. Why is it the world's biggest? It offers an unprecedented level of luxury to travelers oh. and royalty alike in but, Saudi Arabia. They're all heading to Mecca. The hotel will cost about $3.6 billion, feature wow. 10,000 bedrooms. Yeah. That beats the current record holder of the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, which CNN reports has 6,198 rooms. This wow. will have 10,000 rooms. See, this is, but Mecca probably needs a really nice hotel. The hotel will have 70 restaurants, four helipads, <laughs> 45 stories tall. So it's not Jeez. incredibly tall, but still 45 yeah, stories. Yeah. The Desert Fortress-style hotel boasts 12 towers atop a 10-story podium. Really? 
so it's lifted. Yeah. Underneath the podium, it'll have, uh, you know, that's where all the restaurants yeah. and all the features and attractions and things are. The five floors will be off limits to most guests. The guests, they reserve for the, the Saudi royal family. Five floors. At there's, the there's Mecca a, Hilton. There's a lot of members of the Saudi royal family. It's a huge every, family. every second cousin four times yeah. removed is yeah. part of the family. And the hotel funded by the Saudi Ministry of Finance. Hmm. So they reserve some floors for themselves. But yeah. Huge. Interesting. Huge. Patricia M. Strong, or Strong, of 72 of Auburn, Massachusetts, died Monday, surrounded, this is last week, surrounded by her family. She asked that those closest to her extend one final message, according to her obituary. It says that she enjoyed scrapbooking, cross-stitching, pixel art, knitting, and crocheting. She relished weekly card night with the ladies. Yes. Patricia was known for being an avid reader, which all uh, knew her uh, to can attest to based on her many home libraries, Mm -hmm. lots of books. Yeah. She especially loves spending time with her family. She would also like us to set the record straight. Tom Brady is innocent. (laughs) She had to get that in there. Yeah, that's the last line of her obituary. Well, somebody else once, just a few months ago, said don't vote for Hillary Clinton. And now now they're saying, and Tom Brady's innocent. Tom Brady's innocent. You know, that is the cool thing about your obituary. If you write it, you you get your last word. Put whatever you want in it. What would you put in your obituary? I don't know. We had a, I had a class in college, and they had us write our obituary. Really? I didn't do well you in my obituary. Jimmy Crackcorn, what would you write in your obituary? I feel like I would write something about Richard Nixon. I mm. don't know. Why? I have no idea. I just... Cut the guy a break. Yeah. <laughs> would you really? It's tough being president. So in your yeah. obituary, these are very valuable lines, and you're going to use yours to talk about Richard Nixon. That yeah, that's one of the things I would consider for my obituary. In one of the rough drafts, I would probably write one of the rough. Yeah, drafts. Hmm. I'd have a f- select few. I'm gonna just say I told you I was sick. That's what I'm gonna say. That's mean. It is mean. I told you I had a fever. <laughs> Nobody cared. In other news, oh. a Seattle married couple. Yeah. Uh, including a husband who fled Nazi persecution. Mm-hmm. This guy was captured and thrown in a Nazi prisoner of war camp. Yeah. He made it their last wish, this couple, to give all their money, their estate, to Uncle Sam. Really? They gave all their money to the government. Why? They wanted, uh, as a uh, demonstration for how much they love this country, oh, they love the opportunity to be in this country, how fortunate they felt to be here and to That's be cool. part of what this country is. That's cool. The total was eight thousand four hundred seven dollars two hundred or what eight hundred forty seven thousand two hundred fifteen dollars. Wow! So eight hundred thousand dollars to the government to the government to show how grateful they were to be in this country. That's great. Thank you. A Seattle radio station estimated that the rate of the federal government spends money, the $850,000 roughly, left by the couple, will be used in about eight seconds. (laughs) So you get this positive, warm, fuzzy, and then ah, it doesn't really mean much. Eight seconds. We can burn through that in eight seconds. Eight seconds. I bet you we could burn through it in seven seconds. By a screwdriver, no problem. Holy cow. Yeah. So you have this positive message. Yeah. That, that, that was kind of a downer as I read that story. You're like, oh, wow. And the last line, you're like, what? Why is that there? Yeah, pessimist. And the 18th Shanghai International Film Festival. Oh, I love this. Yes. And Walt Disney Pictures uh-huh. have announced that all six Star Wars films will be screened for the first time at this festival. 
in China. Shanghai. In Shanghai. They have never shown. They showed episodes one, two, and three. Yes. Which are the ones that most people don't want to speak about. Yes. They've shown those. Those premiered in China. Okay. But uh, four, five, and six. This is. They've never air, They've never shown in China. This will be the first time Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi air are shown in this China. This is uh, Disney's attempt to quell the pirates from stealing these new movies. Not yeah, it's not that anyone no one has seen the movies. It's yeah. just they've never had them in a theater. Yeah. So they're going to they're going to screen those for the first time and apparently that's a big deal. It seems like it. As a way to promote obviously the movie coming out. Powerful. Well, that a you, few people are You'd want to get it in. to China before the pirates start selling it in China. Right. And they get their eye patches and yeah. their parrots. It just gets yeah. gets messy. Not those pirates, different pirates. Uh, interesting, interesting news. So there you have it. The show's done. We're done. Actually, we're not done. Coming up next, the bomb mom will be joining us. Julie Nelson from A Spoonful of Parenting will be here. She's going to be talking about the important roles that fathers can play in their children's lives. How about that, for heaven's sakes? Earlier in the show, we talked about parental leave acts and... uh, it's, it's just as important that dads play a big role in their kids' lives as the moms. We'll be finding out uh, some of the latest research on that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in the house is the bomb mom, Julie K. Nelson, we call her. Uh, She's the wife and mother of five children, author of Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. But uh, Julie, more importantly, uh, is she's you've you've done raised your own kids. You have one more at home, right? One more. Which is amazing. Yeah, you know, but they just kind of have a free ride. They just kind of, you know, you're those, too last, tired. Ones, those last ones, you're just too tired. You're like, whatever. Yeah, just, just, just raise yourself. Don't hurt yourself <laughs> or anybody else. Yeah. I mean, that's really how you feel. Like, uh-huh. I, you're tired. In other words, the older ones just call them spoiled. We just call them yeah. our favorite, you we, know. Yeah, I just tell my kids, look, you wore, you wore me out. Yeah. <laughs> Mama's, Mom and daddy, we're too tired for this. But you you heard our, our earlier um, session with Dr. Ruth Milkman where we talked about this, the Parenting Leave um, Act, and uh, which is really – it's an interesting thing because in, in America, we're always talking about how we have family values. Mm-hmm. And some parties talk about it even more than others. And yet we don't always necessarily facilitate time for a father and a mother to even be with their kids or especially after a birth to be there. Yeah. And countries around the world, she talked about how we are really the only first world country with no paid leave. That's right. And yes, mothers, you know, primarily, but there are other countries that, you know, do more than just the three month maternity leave yeah. that they're paid to do. Um, in Sweden, a year, a said. Year. But there's some countries that even give two weeks and more to fathers to uh-huh. go home. And uh, she cited research. So I want to kind of talk about the benefits of having fathers home from the very beginning and what that does. Because dads, it, it kind of seems like dads don't get the play. Mm-hmm. That they deserve, but the, a lot of the latest research, dads play a huge role 
in the development of children. Absolutely, from the very beginning with brain development. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hands-off for many dads. They kind of like to say, yeah. okay, that's mom's domain. And from the very beginning, she's the one spending all the time with the kid, getting up in the middle of the night and doing the feeding. And he just kind of waits till they're like, what, eight? And he can throw balls with them? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even younger. You could, throw, you could wrestle with them when they're three, yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Um, so very beginning, we want to start that bonding so that we can get into the wrestling and feel like I can be a part of their life from the very beginning. Yeah, it, it seems like... Moms don't always like how we inject ourselves into the child's life. Yeah, see, there's, we this, there's this dichotomy where the fathers overstimulate and the moms want to calm down. Yeah. The fathers do the rough play. The moms do the cuddling. Usually and, dads end up accidentally hurting their kids more. <laughs> like my, my husband. I share this with my students at the university. We talk about this, the importance of dad and play. What happens when you put a kid in a room with a bunch of adults and you hand a, a nine-month-old to, uh, off to a, a, a dad in the room or yeah. you know, just a, a male in the room? What does he do? Throws them up in the yeah, air. Yeah, we start right? tossing. Yeah, like a football. Because we love them. Yeah, that's right. That's how we show we love them. And my husband, he, um, he, I don't know how old he was, a baby, and his his father had just returned from a tour of duty in Vietnam. hadn't seen him for like six months or a year <laughs> or something like that, you know. So he comes home. Dad's not been there for you. Everyone's so excited, and um, so he comes to the door, picks up my husband, who's a child, young child at the time, throws him up in the air a little too high. Oh no! Gashes his forehead on the chandelier, and they have to go to the emergency room. Are you <laughs> so he's got this scar on his forehead for the rest of his life. <laughs> but no, they do. They Thanks, do. Dad. Yeah, yeah. But research has shown that the the fathers from the very beginning who are more involved from the Family Medical and Medical Leave Act, um, that paternal leave really does play a part in the well-being not only of the, of the company, it does benefit yeah, the, company the company and of our economy, but the, the children themselves and the family life, yeah. um, they find research that fathers are more involved in playing with their kids as well as their care, and the children flourished academically. Hmm. Um, so I think this, this ingredient that the fathers bring into um, the dynamics of the home where they do have more of this uh, physical play, yeah. and we're going to talk more about benefits of that. Because the it, it also just seems like if he bonds with his kids, he's more predictable, he's safer, he'll be around longer. It's mm-hmm. he's a part of it. If he if he just kind of goes back to work, he's not going to be as bonded. Yeah, anything you invest in and yeah. anytime you um have that that time from the very beginning, then you feel like I am an actor in this person's um life and I need to be there and I have a, a a contribution that's unique to what the mother gives. And not that the mother can't do physical play as well and the fathers can't be nurturers, but they each can bring their own and and research has shown that fathers just tend to as one research says tend to engage in more physical, stimulating and unpredictable play than mothers do. Mm-hmm. Um this same research Researchers said that they what they did was rats. Okay, we always we only always try everything with rats first, of right? Of course. <laughs> well, they're great fathers too. <laughs> they are, and um, if we damage their brains, it's okay, That's right? right. Yeah. But what happened was is they were they raised these rats in stimulating environments with complex toys and social contexts and acrobatic challenges, so more physical play. Hmm. And these rats outperformed rats that were reared in isolation. The rats had more synapses per neuron, more dendritic branching, and increased capillary flow. The father's orientation towards the physical play creates a stimulating environment that is similar to that that was experienced by the high-performing rats. Interesting. Um, so you have the more blood flow. You have more of that complex, yeah. you know, the, the, the uh, um, dendritic. So, so it's maybe less communicative, but it's more mm-hmm. – but it, it, creates, it creates kind of a physiological benefit. Yes. And there's also this thing called the BDNF. 
um, which increases the neuron growth in the parts of the brain when you have more of that stimulation. Hmm. It's responsible for memory and logic and higher learning skills, which is necessary for academic success for the first six years of their life, five years. Yeah. You are you're stimulating the, the brain to do better, to perform better in school. So fathers play that part. So when mothers see, get a little anxious because yeah. dad's doing a little bit too much Why of this rough, yeah, yeah. it really is good as long as it's safe. Yeah. But it's good if, okay, if they fall down and get, you know, owie, that's right. fine too. Yeah, um, because they learn. One of the things that happens is, is, that, is that children learn that unpredictability is part of life. Yeah. And so when you have these um, give and takes and things are not always scripted, like we're going to play a, you know, a uno or whatever yeah. and it's not just here are the rules roughhousing doesn't really always have rules no. you just kind of like tumble and up. wrestle and you pl- make it up and not everything goes the way you want it to and so you learn with socio-emotional development yeah. that um, you can have um unpredictability in your life. You can learn to read um, the difference between play and aggression when it goes too far. You bet. Which you, happens a lot. Which happens where you play and then it escalates. And then, and then the kids and cry. Then, <laughs> and dad, dad has to go, hey, let's bring it down. Yeah. And dad's the one that's kind of helping the child learn when it's going too far. That's that emotional management. Mm-hmm. Emotional, social, emotional intelligence helps children to read and interpret social cues. Yeah. That's what you're doing with fathers is you're learning how to – when someone's crossed the line, mm-hmm. when we need to pull it back. Um, it also um, has been linked with research to control violent impulses later in life because you know the difference yeah i mean you've been taught from from you very young so um you also fathers you know moms do the cuddling they do the kissing of the boo-boos but dads have more of a tendency when things get a little bit more out of control they distract their kids from the pain maybe they got themselves hurt they do some humor let's go do something else now we distract them take their mind take their mind off so they learn how to cope when they're out in the world and they need to um be involved with some maybe some painful situations. It's interesting because you just you think, oh yeah, we think everyone's replaceable, but you may not be because you naturally may be more of a an empathic person, but may not try to overstimulate your kid, which. A dad might tease, tease, tease. Oh, about to cry. Calm, calm, calm. Absolutely. Oh, make him cry. Oh, make him calm. Make mm-hmm. oh, and these. It's an interesting benefit. Mm-hmm. And and it seems like an extreme to your partner because they're like, oh, why do you always stimulate the kids at nine o'clock at night? <laughs> We're trying to get them to go to bed. Absolutely. We're talking with Julie Nelson from A Spoonful of Parenting. You got to go check out that website. Ton of great tools and uh, and helpful just you know articles. Plus, you can look at her two books, Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. We'll be talking about all of that and more when we come back. More tools on parenting and the important role, dads, that you play in your children's lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joining us, who better to teach us about the role and the impact our parents can play on us than Julie K. Nelson from A Spoonful of Parenting? One of the great, uh, you're one of the great, what do we call you, contributors to the show. You've been on forever. Yeah, seems like. You're old. <laughs> you know what? I'm just, glad to be, I'm just glad to be invited back. But it's because you're that good. Yeah. But uh, you teach marriage and family human development classes at Utah Valley University, mm-hmm. UVU. And uh, you also um, have written many a book, two books, 
but you're on the Wall Street Journal. You've been on Parents.com. You're the you're like everywhere, trying to teach us how to mm-hmm. be better parents. Mm-hmm. Trying to get the word out, people. We can do it. We can do it. A spoonful of parenting.com is your website, but you're trying to help us understand because um, we were talking earlier in the seven a.m. or the nine a.m. hour if you're on the East Coast about uh, the the just getting parent leave. Yeah, there we need to have. Um, uh, better policies in our country that can support families like they we do have in European yeah. countries uh, where parents are encouraged to go home. It's better for the businesses. They find that there's less um, employees um, who are um, dissatisfied. Who yeah, are, you're happier. You mm-hmm. like your company because they're helping you yeah, they're going be a better dad or mom. They're going to put more into the work when they're there. We're going to have le- um, better retention. Um, the pl- employees are going to uh, – we're going to attract better employees because you have this package. Yeah. So there are f- you know Facebook and Google, we talk about them, yeah, those how they, the, the individual companies who offer these paid leave times. Yeah. But we need to have more of a national and state policies, um, like California, right. who, who can encourage even low-wage earners to go home and, and start right with their families, with their babies. And it comes down to money, basically, mm-hmm. because businesses don't like it because nobody – they don't want to be told how to run their business. But again, the lady mentioned, yeah. uh, Dr. Milkman, that, that when you have paid maternity and maternity leave, both paternity and maternity, has economic benefits for the company, um, that they do have short-term costs, but the employees return and they're better, more productive. Um, and companies aren't – in California and Rhode Island and some of these other states, companies aren't paying for it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a payroll tax. Everybody's paying for it out of their employee wages. Yeah. And um, right now people don't want to take the leave because they're scoffed at or looked down on by other employees to go yeah. home. Yeah. But if it's something that you have to t- to take and now we have um, – you know, states who mandate it, then you'll look bad if you don't. Yeah. Um, we need to start going in that direction because it does. And the research has shown for 10 years in California that there are there, the, the, the benefits um, outweigh the costs. They were really were nervous about this. Yeah, when they started all the saying, negatives. All the every, negatives came out. But no, there are only benefits, benefits right. for the company even. But now we're going to talk about the benefits for the family. And so talk about that. The family, yeah. it, it's good to have even dad home, mm-hmm. right? So it's not it, – obviously mom's going to be home. She's got to recover. She's going to feed the baby. She's going to do all these different things. But dads are just as important to have home. They are. And they uh, not only does it um, close the gender gap, um, so it's good for the family so that they can have better earning, but um, that men, women tend to um, – shoulder more of the domestic yeah, responsibilities sure. like you just meant, yeah. mentioned. And if fathers are home, then the father feels from the very beginning that he's not being edged out of those critical domestic responsibilities, not just playing with the kid and taking care of the child, but helping out. And that's t- called a time for it's – a, it's a newborn stage is what they call a crucial time for renegotiation of household labor. You've got to make up new rules. Mm-hmm, with the work-family f- balance. Right. Um, and it becomes a permanent lifestyle from the very beginning. If mom's the one home um, and dad doesn't help out at all, then he doesn't ever feel like I can do this or that's I should right. be doing this. And then mom shoulders the burden and it re- the family does pay. It's interesting. That disparity then mm-hmm. – yeah. Yeah, then we don't make up for that ever. Yeah, and then she's d- d- less satisfied with her quality of her life yeah. as well. Huh. Yeah, so we talked about how um, fathers being there from the very beginning, even if it's a two weeks, just bonding with the yeah. child, knowing that he can help out and he's paid for this. And let's let's go even more than two weeks. Let's let's really help out fathers be a part of the of the children's life because you've got a brain development, yeah. help, how it helps out with them. Um, it also helps out with socio-emotional development, teaches kids when they do this more physical play with their child, not to give up when things are hard 
and they don't win all the time yeah. because the unpredictability of play. And let's talk about physical development. Um, dads have a profound impact on their children's physical fitness. Studies have shown that when that's the father's, not the mother's, activity level and weight is strongly predictive of what their children's activity level and weight will be as adults. Really? Mm-hmm. That's scary. <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> Viewers. Get off your duff, yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, get off. It's fathers who really p- play that physical role mm-hmm. of of how active their kids will be in childhood and on into I had, adults. I was sick all weekend, and my kids are like, "Dad, come out and play basketball." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "No, I'm sick." <laughs> yeah, but but you, then you're feeling guilty, like ah, oh, it's a weekend. Kids, I should. Yeah, kids turn to uh, their fathers. Who do they turn to their to, yeah. to go shoot baskets with? Yeah, I don't know if they've ever asked my wife to go shoot baskets. Yeah. Now I do that as well, and I'm not saying moms don't go out there and do that because I do that really I mean, a my lot. My wife could dunk it. Yeah. But um, but typically, research has shown that it's the fathers that kids turn sure. to and the fathers that step into that role um, because typically mothers are the more nurture. We fix the yeah. food. We fix the boo-boos. And then the dads are out there wrestling well, or throwing that, the ball. That disparity, she's in the house cleaning <laughs> and he's out there playing. Uh-huh. Jerks. But they, but, but but kids need both. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, and 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 the father and the mother can do both. Yeah. But if you're going to do some division of of that type of the quality of play and the quality of raising the kids, then we need to have both elements. And that's the fathers right. do have that unique contribution. And so that does show kids the model of how physically active to be. Um, and so, yeah, dad's important. The last one I want to bring up, and it's the, the Medical Leave Act is called, or the um, paternal leave and maternal leave is called the bonding leave. Hmm. Dr. Yeah, that's talked right. about yeah. the bonding leave. So let's talk about bonding for a minute. Um, when you do the rough and tumble play with your child that dad offers uniquely, it's a chance to physically show their affection to their kids. That's in how a they're fun bonding. And playful environment. You look at how fathers, I mean, I know a dad in our, our neighborhood who, man, you give him a baby and he's tossing it up in the air. You but have. he's also, when he, catches the baby, he's going to do some kisses on the cheek yeah. and he's, he's going to do tickle some tickle. It. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this is the way dad shows their It's physical. Function. It's a little more mm-hmm. physical. A lot of times you'll see women turn the baby to their face and they talk to the baby. Mm-hmm. Which is so important it's too. It's so important. Oh, yeah. Except the men are like looking at him like, you know, that baby doesn't talk. <laughs> so but she's tick, talking and They'll tickle and they'll, you know, mm-hmm. they'll use that parentese where they do a higher yeah. voice and then they... And men use the baby as a puppet. Look, mm-hmm. I'm kicking the ball. And they're moving the baby's <laughs> legs. Yeah. It's just a different it's, – it's totally – if you just watch them naturally do what they naturally do, mm-hmm. this child's going to be fairly well-rounded. Yeah. Yeah. And, by letting both parents in. And so uh, single parents out there, if you don't have a, a, a male in the home, find other males that can do this yeah. type of play or you know, introduce this yourself as well. Do more of it yourself because the child needs it for brain development, for socio-emotional play yeah. um, and development, um, for physical and for bonding. They need all kinds of play, um, the physical and the cuddling. Mm-hmm. Um, we need times to calm down. Yeah. And we need to know how the child self-regulate. And the child will learn the self-regulation if they're doing all these They have to be of- overstimulated and then given a space to calm down mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. and then stimulate. But see, again, you, that could come with a father, a grandfather, a neighbor, a friend, mm-hmm. somebody that's close to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, when they're on the schoolyard and they're playing and things get a little bit heated, they also know, oh, whoops, this is – yeah. and they have that in, in their head. This is so too, going too far. Right. I need to go and calm down or we should calm this game down. Mm-hmm. And those who are more aggressive, they have found in research, that end up being the bullies have not had this type of play at home, yeah. particularly with their fathers. Well, and you also see it like just you know those little kids throwing the bat in the dugout and a lot of times their dads are right there. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're mad about the call too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's dads. You play a big role. That's yeah. the key. Right? So dads also, when you're playing, you're going to with this this safe environment of rough and tumble. This is the way that you help to manage your own emotions as well. It's awesome. And you're teaching the kids how to do it. See, sheesh. Where where were you when I was raising kids, Julie? Hey, Matt, you have great kids. I really do. Mm-hmm. But and congrats to yours. Yeah. News, but we won't give it because it's not for everyone to have. But. Julie's had a happy moment this weekend. <laughs> uh, and congrats on your new book. It's doing well, I'm assuming. Yeah. Keep it real. Keep it real and, and grab, grab a, f- a plunger. It's it's all about the messiness of life, you know, and plunger, I guess, is what is the tool that shows That's the you symbol that of the symbol of the family mess. mess and Hurry. you, you kind of <laughs> gather around the toilet and see what's going down. And, <laughs> and bring, what's not? It brings the family together. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing brings the family together faster than a clogged toilet. That's right. Good job. Go to her website again, a spoonful of parenting.com and check out the book, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. We'll take a break, come back and talk to those guys down in Studio B from BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. With you for me and me for you. We'll model true whatever we do is friendship. Nothing says friendship more than this segment of the Matt Townsend Show. It's where the Matt Townsend Show meets BYU Sports Nation. It's where I get to talk to my good old buddies, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, friends. Hello. But there is one Brian Logan oh, sitting is Brian in for there? Jerem Jordan Hello, today. Brian. I'm doing good. I'm kind of I'm kind of sad, man. You Why? called me Jerem. Yeah, yeah, you don't even look like Jerem. No, not no. Mm-mm. We can't some, for some, some reason. We, we could we could be cousins, but I don't know what yeah. I don't know where they see. You that could at. be brothers from another mother. Yep, yep. We are we are definitely that. That I, I can't see you guys. Our our television's not working apparently. What in the world? I know. Usually I would know that, and then we'd just be like, "Yeah, that's not Jerem." That's Brian. Oh, 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 that's why. That's okay. why. I get it now. But uh, get... you guys, um, here's the deal. Did you hear about Steph Curry? Well, which... Trying to jump, he playing leapfrog on someone? Oh, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, it, was saw a, it. it was a weird moment for the NBA superstar. That scared me. Yeah, it was, it's tough to watch. It, it reminded me of when I used to play. <laughs> when you were... <laughs> Back in were... Nam. Were the people jumping over you? <laughs> no. What do you mean? What do you? What do you say? Yeah, I mean, you, you were dunking. I'm on guessing people? you were not the guy jumping over no. the one. Why would the you landing. guess that? Why? Why would you guess that? See, I, I got mean, you back. You me. were doing uh, 360 windmill dunks, right? See, yeah, exactly. <laughs> back back <Spence>. in Nam. <laughs> yeah, I was on the American team in Nam. <laughs> we killed, by the way. <laughs> killed them. <laughs> nice. Anyway, hey, um, that was weird. Hey, uh, yeah, it was. by the way, I want I want to really thank Spencer. Spencer gave me a BYU Sports Nation wristband. Yep, mm. your life is next level now. I, I really, you know what? Just so you know, I, I had the I had the flu all weekend, so I couldn't go show it on the court. But I felt like because I had the wristband that I really could have produced on the court if I didn't have a fever. 
I, I wish I had one of these wristbands. I don't even have you one. You know, talk to Spencer. You they do too. they have a whole box full. I of them. do not have a wristband. I'm going to give you one right I now. Don't, I don't have one. I'm going to give you one right now. You got a wristband before I did. <laughs> yeah. I am literally opening you know, my back I thought, to get Brian I thought, a we, I thought like when we did yeah. the commercial yeah. that yeah, it yeah. kind of solidified my spot, but I guess no, not. You're trying to take over the show. We dude. take three steps forward and then we take five steps. Brian, back. would you like? You're never gonna navy get blue or the old school royal blue or both. Why don't you have both? I only got one. I appreciate it. I only got one, Spence. <laughs> I'm official now. I didn't even know there were two choices. This is, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy. Kind of rude. Don't hate, Matt. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know I'll where my office one, is. Man. Just I'll... next time you walk by, just leave it on my desk or something. Hey, you were kind enough to give us the uh, cell phone stands Aren't those from cool? the Matt Townsend show. Those yeah. are hot. There's even a place in the back where you can like run your cord through I so know. you can charge it. I know. We're yeah. big league. We don't, yeah. we don't just use wristbands. You... <laughs> like we actually have furniture. Yeah, but I can't take that with me. See, well, like sure we want to be able to to show off the BYUSN wherever we go. Well, I carry my I carry my phone holder everywhere. You have a sad life. <laughs> when I like go to a business meeting, I put my phone holder down. <laughs> and I stick my phone on it. Okay. It's a phone cradle. Okay. Jeez. Fine. So hard. Hey, um, any you guys are still doing your show, right? I mean, it's you're, you're st- is your show still on. That we are, okay. and that it is. It's not going anywhere? No, it's not going anywhere. So what, what, what are we talking about today? I mean, Brian's there, so it's going to be fun. Well, Hello. This is, yeah, it always is fun with B. Logan in the house. <laughs> B. Logan? I yeah, B. Low. Oh, yeah, that's, that's my nickname. It's great. It's a great name. <laughs> Most people don't know it, but yeah. It's, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, we didn't have a chance to address it because it happened over the weekend. Um, what? What? And we, it was Memorial Day yesterday, so we were all off, but... Uh, BYU football signed a 6'7", 322-pound offensive lineman wow. out of New Zealand ma- named Manasse Tuungafasi. Yes. 6'7", 322, and he is a, he is a lean machine. Uh, um, uh, yeah. It wasn't, it was, is he a rugby player? Yes. Yep. I, I, he looks like he's got about like 8% body fat on him. Like me. Uh, again, again with the comparisons. <laughs> I just, yep. I don't know. I don't want to always You're bring it back to You're comparing yourself to Steph Curry <laughs> and to a 6'7", 322-pound rugby player out of New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe maybe he got hit in the head like, you know, Steph did. Maybe. Maybe. Well, I did have a fever. <laughs> <laughs> that could cause a lot maybe of Maybe that's it. But so, but what's, what position does a 6'7", 322 guy, a defensive end? Yeah. He's well, got to be fast. Is he fast? Well, I mean, when you think about that, the height and weight, you you normally would think about lineman. offensive lineman. Yeah, yeah. But uh, like Spencer said, when you look at his 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 body's physique, he des- he definitely looks like it's like ten percent body fat. So I would yeah. move him to the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, because that's where the true athletes play. So see, it's it'll be interesting to yeah. see where he pans out. Well, he's and he's going to be fast, right? I would assume he's you would fast. think so. Yeah, you you would you would you I mean, would think you play rugby. playing rugby. Yeah, you got to right. have some type of speed on you. What if he's just really slow? No way. Back to the line. No way. He he's a big deal in his sport. Yeah, is he? Yes. Is he going to play rugby here too? Do they let him play both? I don't know if BYU football will let them play. Will let him play both? I don't think Bronco would have any of that. No. going on. I don't know. It's kind of sad. Yeah, the other, you could. It's the other way around. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't think. Yep. Now the mm-hmm. now the topic of the show is obviously he's the catalyst mm-hmm. with him being signed, but BYU football has discovered this new out of the box recruiting technique um, with the likes of Manasse. When you go back to Ziggy Ansah, now Ziggy kind of fell into their laps yeah. and he became a top five NFL draft pick. 
So why not think, hmm, there are some athletes out there far and wide across this beautiful world that could potentially play football at an elite level. Let's go and try and find them and coach them up. Ooh, there you go. And so how much of a risk-reward is involved with that? Because there is a gamble, but how much of a gamble? And what do these guys require compared to the other athletes? Now, Brian, Brian lived it with Ziggy, so he's going to tell us what that was like. I mean, Ziggy's, Ziggy's like the supreme example. He's the man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he is. But can it, it has it ever been in any way replicated other than Ziggy? Mm. You know, I, I'm sure there. I'm sure there has been. But you, you you hear these type of stories all the time. But I think with BYU, no, I can't. I can't think of any right. since, since I've been involved in the program. Um, but I'm sure maybe some other schools might. You know, you might come across well, isn't uh, that, a story like that. Uh, isn't maybe that what, not as so uh, as so. Prominent though, yeah. I mean, fifth round draft pick, right? You well, may, fi- yeah, fifth overall. overall draft excuse pick. me, yeah, fifth overall. I mean, but that's, that's it, one thing. That's what the SEC it. does, right? Don't they go in and just like recruit athletes and then train them for their positions? Well, I, I mean, thought that's like what Oregon was known for, and that's what they're the, not recruiting in New Zealand and Australia. I know that's. I guess that's what I'm saying. So the model already kind of is there. If you can just get a good athlete, then you just teach them how to play, coach them up, right? That's, the, that's the NFL model, is right there. I, I can't teach. Height, I can't teach weight. You can't uh, teach good looks. You know, nope, can't teach good looks. Can't teach any of those That's what stuff. my coach used to say to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I can teach you how to catch a ball. I can That's teach right. you how to make a tackle. So, uh, you know, the rest is the rest is uh, easy. You That's know, for great. somebody that hasn't seen you, Matt, before, like mm-hmm. in real life, yeah, yeah. if all they have to go off of is the fact that you have dashing looks mm-hmm. and you are like somewhat, Steph you Curry. have the jumping ability of Steph uh-huh. Curry, and your six, your six, your physique seven, is like yeah, a six seven three twenty two guy with eight percent body fat. With eight percent, eight percent. Don't yeah. forget that. That's the yeah. most important. Yeah, you That's... you might be the greatest athlete in the history of ever. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it, you know what? The only thing is, I'm not athletic. Uh... How can you be that and not athletic? Well, I mean, you, you coach me up. Okay, That's the point he's trying to make. That's the That's point. point. That's the point of your show. Well, you have to be athletic to be coached up. Oh, mm. yeah, that's going to be a problem. Yep. <laughs> but, Point Spencer. But the looks, the looks thing, the, my cut's why they always brought it up. Like, Matt, okay. you got the looks, but, okay. you know, you, maybe you just ought you to do radio. The, you passed the eye test, mm-hmm. is what you're mm-hmm. saying. The candy, the eye candy. Like, like if, we, if we compared you to a first-round draft pick like a Ziggy, uh-huh. you know, NFL scout would say yes. Yes. I, could, I would take that man uh-huh. in the first round. Exactly. Without exactly. even watching any film. See, Brian, you need to be on the show more. I, I, I'm you telling get you, man. It. You got to let, let them know. I know. You know, I, I, can, know. I, I can only say so much. I know. Brian's, Brian's here for the next two weeks, Matt. Is he really? Where's right? He? Is that right? I got to check my Palm Pilot on that. But yeah, I you better so. go check Something your like <laughs> I got to let you guys go. You've for got a show to for do. For the foreseeable future, yes. Okay, that's good to know. So, Brian, uh, Brian, we'll talk a lot, brother. You'll, yes, get to know, you'll get to know the real me. Yes, I'm excited. Plus, and I'll I'll fill you in on some of the Spencer things to watch out for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need I need that. Yeah. Prepare yourself. Tips. Okay, guys, have a great show. Thank you, Doctor Matt. Keep it straight in the fairway. Little sports metaphor. I like to always end with a little sports metaphor. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I I you know, I mean, I make it sound like I'm not athletic. I am. I went and played baseball yesterday with my bad foot and my throat and my fever. What do you do? Here's a really cool story to wrap the show up. 
uh, William Ramirez was driving to his boat maintenance job Tuesday morning when he spotted a chilling sight on the Northwest 79th Street. A Miami police officer was on the ground trying to take cover as a man fired at him with his high-powered assault rifle. Thinking fast, Ramirez swerved his Dodge Caravan between the officer and the shooter, shielding the rookie officer. Then he opened the side door, pulled Officer Rosny Obas to safety, and they sped off. How cool is this guy? Pulls in, opens his door. I mean, who would do that? The guy's shooting, for crying out loud. The lesson from this heroic effort during a chaotic shootout on Miami streets, the best way to stop a bad man with a gun is a good man with a van. That's the lesson, folks. The police work to protect us, Ramirez said Wednesday. We have to help them. How could I not pull over and help him? Anyway, how cool is that? He's our hero of the day, my friends. Um, the, the, uh, on Wednesday morning, Ramirez got a call from the grateful mayor of Miami, and the mayor thanked him for standing in the line of fire. Miami police who say Ramirez probably played a large part in saving that officer's life. They plan to recognize the boat fixer with a plaque at the city's next commission meeting. He then said, I do believe that God had his hand in saving this police officer. Police Chief Rodolfo Lanes said, in the end, God put this gentleman there to help him, and he did his job. How cool is that? So again, this in these days where you know we're questioning uh, police officers and, and what they do, uh, here's a guy that just a regular citizen that stepped in, saw a man down, and, uh, and put his life in harm's way to save someone else. That's really what this is about, isn't it, folks? When we come down to it, it's about people helping people. And uh, in this great big ball of mud, we can have a bunch of labels and titles for what we are and what we do. But in the end, we're just a bunch of human beings serving human beings. That's the show, my friends. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Remember, we can't do the show without you. And uh, William Ramirez is my hero of the day. We'll be back tomorrow to give you more tools, more ideas to help you uh, find the good in the world and to become the best you can be. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, take care.